0: Big Dumb Movie is a comedic podcast that often contains obscene language and outlandish commentary. Listener discretion
1: is advised.
2: Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where we discuss movies of the Big Dumb variety. I'm your host, Corey, and I'm joined today with Jonathan. Hey, guys. Steve.
1: Hi, no, do you have any barinos.
2: And Cavi Anvil. Hey, what up? Blah. Hey, guys. <laughs> We're here to talk about Demolition Man.
1: Demolition Man.
2: A very well-remembered movie of the 90s. An mm. action movie. a movie was... Well, I was going to say Steven Seagal, but thank God it doesn't have Steven
1: Seagal. <laughs> well, it's funny. You should bring that up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why is that, Steve?
1: Uh, Seagal was almost in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a lot more related to the touch-on. We can touch on when we get there. But yeah, Seagal and Van Damme were actually two of the early choices to this movie. Arch rivals? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Was it Seagal with or without the ponytail? I mean, I think it would have to be with. I think so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Seagal without the ponytail is like a neutered horse.
3: (laughs) Now, was this prior to Van Damme's coke problem?
1: I think this was well into the midst of the coke problem. Yeah, this was during. Yeah. Well, this I mean, peak. I know
3: I know, he was super heavy on it during Street Fighter. Was that a, like the same year? I mean, wouldn't you have was been? Was it right around there? I'm right? not sure I like could 90, do that 90, 90 movie 94? without
1: some kind of chemical assistance. <laughs> <Like>.
3: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was just listening to, the, to our pod on that and we talked about him having like a $10,000 a week coke problem yeah. during Street Fighter.
1: Wow it's pretty insane. I, I mean, I, as much money as he was getting paid, I've heard he was spending it basically as fast as he could make it, which is pretty crazy.
3: I probably would, too.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if I'd been Street Fighter, <laughs> I'm not sure I would have survived production, to be honest. Imagine if you were in The Legend of Chun-Li. <laughs> no. I mean, that would have been suicide. <laughs> that would have been intentional. <laughs> I mean, does it really get
3: any better than getting paid to be in a shitty movie, doing 10 grand worth of coke a week and banging Kylie Minogue on set? Like, come on.
1: Oh, no, I mean, people, they're definitely like Michael Caine and Christopher Walken. I know for sure have both joked in the past that they will literally take almost anything that gets offered to them as long as it's not entirely obscene just because that you're getting paid to do it. You know, Mike, Michael Caine once – he was neither either the second or the third Jaws, one of the really bad – ones. well, they were all bad after the first one. And, he, I mean, he, he actually admitted that he had very little memory of even working on the movie, but that he knew the movie was crap and that his – he didn't really care because he really liked the house he bought with the money he'd made doing it, so. Yeah,
2: I heard that story. <laughs> oh, that's
1: awesome. Yeah. Uh.
2: Before we go on too many tangents, I do want to focus in on an actor in this movie just for a minute or two. Yeah. Not too long. Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Because we did another Sylvester Stallone movie for Big Dumb Movie a while back. It was called Over the Top. Remember that one?
3: Mm-hmm. Arm wrestling movie. Really <laughs> stupid. Yeah, it's Arm bad. wrestling truck driver.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep. it's an American hero, basically. But uh, this time I want to focus in on Wesley Snipes and just kind of do a quick roundtable. See, like, which Wesley Snipes movies you guys like or don't like or how you feel about him in general. Because I know he's kind of a crazy person. I'll start with you, Cavi. Do you have any, like, particular favorites?
0: Uh, yeah, I got two of them, uh, White Man Can't Jump and New Jack City. So, um, White Man Can't Jump is just so quotable. It's like, oh, you listen to Jimmy, but you don't hear Jimmy. And then, you know, Woody Harrelson's like, his drummer's white. And he's like, his drummer's white. Like, that's just such a quotable movie. That movie's great. Uh, yes. I, I really wish I remembered Blade. I haven't seen that movie in so long. And as an MCU fan, and that being one of the first ones, I really need to go back and watch that, but um, New, New Jack City, Nino Brown passing out turkeys like Nino Brown, baby. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely a fan of New Jack City. Those are probably my two favorites from him.
2: White Men Can't Jump would have been my pick too. So I think nice. we're on the same page there.
3: That was my pick too.
2: Yeah, all three of us. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. I mean, it's not like the greatest movie ever made, but it, it's it's weirdly endearing, is it not? Like. You watch it, and for some reason you're, like, rooting for these guys' stupid, like, street basketball games. Like, how did they get me to be into this? <laughs> they, I don't know. They're just pretty fun. And Woody oh. Harrelson can be a very likable guy. We'll see how he does as Carnage with a stupid fucking wig on his head. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Let's not talk about
0: I mean, that. I enjoy his acting. I can't really think of anything that I didn't enjoy from him. So, I have hope, but I did not like the first Venom movie. That movie was trash. Yeah.
2: Yeah, at the time I saw it, I was like, "This is okay." I had that like weird like in theater denial that I sometimes get. <laughs> Ditto. I had that with like the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. Well, at least I had
1: it with the Phantom Menace. But you know, fuck, I actually meant to start a timer on my phone to see how long it would take for Star Wars to get mentioned, and <laughs> I forgot to do it. But. that's kind of like <laughs> the selling point of
2: our show. We talk about Star Wars every episode. <laughs> every episode, right?
0: <laughs> that Darth Maul fight is dope,
1: though. It is. Ray Winston's the best part of that movie. right hey, Mark. And- Oh, Ray Park. Sorry, you right. Ray Winston is actually the name of a different actor, but yeah, Ray Park. Steve, how do you feel
2: about Wesley Snipes?
1: I he, he did a lot of the same kind of movie over and over. I mean, I guess it was just his strong suit playing that leading action character type. I I I enjoyed Drop Zone when it was new, but I was like 13 and almost any action movie back then was like, oh, this is cool. Um my my favorite of his is Blade, for sure the first one. It's 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 a very like as much as you can timestamp a movie aesthetically, that movie's got the timestamp of the late '90s on it. But I don't mean that in a bad way. Just every, almost every film really is a product of the era in which it was made. But it's 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 awesome, it's still really entertaining, and it's the best thing Stephen Dorff was in. It's the end. The last 15 minutes let it down. I it, like the the ending could have been done a little better, but the rest of it I think is awesome.
2: Didn't it come out that he was like insane? during the production of Blade like he's an actual
1: crazy person like Wesley Snipes Yeah you know I've never heard anything quite to that degree I I I know that he got busted for some kind of tax evasion at one point I've heard he can be like energetic and and definitely assertive I I don't I don't know any stories about him animated being, Yeah <laughs> right I don't know I don't know any particular stories about him being super bad but I I don't know I know that they Intentionally sought him out for this part after other considerations had gone by the wayside. Blade was interesting. If I remember correctly, they changed the way the character is for the
2: movie in terms of like his abilities and stuff. A little bit, yeah. And then they made that the comic canon after the movies.
1: Yeah, some of the... Co- it's really interesting. Some of the comic canon did get adjusted a little bit because they liked what, what Goyer had come up with for the film. Oh, it was Goyer? Well, it was him and... One other guy's name is escaping me right now. But yeah, one of his better movies, I th- one of his better attempts, I think, and I think the success of this is what led him to get Dark City, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I mean, they, they did a lot of background on like the, the different houses of the, the vampires and the symbology, the runes that went along with them. And like a lot of it just never made it into the movie. I think it became part of the comics later on. What's the
2: symbology there?
1: Well, I... No, I just,
2: <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just... Yeah, I'm quoting Boondocks. So oh, no one, oh, okay, thank no, you. You're right.
1: No one one cares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Even I missed it at first.
2: Jonathan, I know you were you had some other Wesley Snipes. I, I don't want to say yeah. film.
3: Well, no, I, I do have one more uh, uh, film that was one of my favorites. It's going to be a total oddball. Nobody's mentioned this one yet. And it's also probably one that we should put on the list for future pods. And I know you would probably rip it to shreds, but it would be a fun movie to pod, which is um, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything. Yo, that movie's movie's awesome. Yeah, I love that movie, but I would also love to rip it apart on a pod too, you know, um, because it's so cheesy. Um, But look at the cast, though, dude. John Leguizamo, Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes all dressed up to be freaking uh, uh, drag queens. Like, come on nice good Absolutely. good material
2: i dig it so I, but, I thought you were gonna go a different
3: oh, route no no i am that that was an honorable mention hmm. my my other all-time favorite wesley snipes material i guess i could say is from Chappelle's show oh. when you get charlie murphy talking about him and he's like, you know, me and Eddie, we, we was the darkest brothers around until Wesley Snipes came on the scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's my favorite all-time Wesley Snipes having
1: to do with anything.
3: Oh, that's such a classic. That is like one yeah. of the all-time greatest like, TV skits ever it, made. It, right?
1: it is. The Charlie Murphy stories are so entertaining. Of course, my, my complexion used to call me darkness. He calls me and my brother darkness. He calls us darkness brothers. See, this is long before Wesley Snipes. Back then, we was the blackest <laughs> niggas on the planet according to and the way that they're recreated, I mean, I I think everyone's got a favorite, but I've never met anyone who didn't especially love the the prince story and the basketball game. Absolutely, it's, it's fantastic.
3: Did you guys also ever watch uh, Black Jesus with Charlie Murphy in there? I've seen bits of it. He I've, was like the landlord for the apartment building I don't or the super that. dude. He was gold in that show. Like if you ever see the reruns or or you find a place to watch it online, watch it, dude. That show is amazing. <laughs> I'm sad it only had two seasons. I want to give another honorable mention real quick before we talk about Demolition
2: Man with Wesley Snipes, because this is kind of forgotten in time to some degree. You you guys remember Michael Jackson's music videos, right? He used mm. to do these big production music videos. He was like Oh yeah. Yeah. Like Thriller was obviously oh, the really big one.
1: But it was remember the time and black and white got huge videos. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Black and White was an event when it yeah. remember when it
1: premiered? Oh yeah. yeah. That was a big deal. With Macaulay Culkin in it? Yeah. I mean, come on. What but, was the other one
3: he did with his sister with Janet? Oh, that's uh, right. That was a huge wild video. Like yeah. super futuristic right
1: there. Uh, half of the songs on um oh crap now the name of the album is Escaping went from the early 90s where it's bad was it bad maybe it was bad something like half the songs on that album got huge videos
2: yeah I think it was bad because he did a video for the song bad with Wesley Snipes
1: yeah that's what it was really
2: yeah so the original video was like long it's like 10 minutes long or something yeah and Wesley Snipes plays the antagonist to Michael Jackson and the whole song is about like him getting in Wesley Snipes face saying who's bad but in the later video, they cut all the Wesley Snipes stuff out, so the video doesn't really work anymore, because he's doing, he's saying all this to no one. Yeah. So it's like him and his gang are, like, confronting no one. It never shows the other side anymore.
1: There have been a handful of instances of that with, with various different artists, where a music video becomes, like, a 10-minute a or 12-minute long short film into itself, and then it'll get cut down for, well, I don't know if MTV even plays music videos anymore at this point, but it would have been trimmed down for a network like MTV. Yeah. yeah, Well, Steve, you're here, so why don't you tell us, how the hell did Demolition Man get made? Okay, this movie's writing process is so convoluted and involves so many people, I'm not even going to bother really trying to give you the whole picture, because it would get really boring for everybody, but there's this dude, Peter Lenkov, Lenkov moved to Hollywood right out of college. He got work as a production assistant. He wrote several scripts. None of them sold. He eventually took a script to somebody, I think at Universal, that I don't know what the story was. There's no real detail that I've ever been able to find on what the exact idea was. But it had something to do with the cop getting cryogenically frozen. And the studio executives liked bits and pieces of it, but not the whole idea. And apparently from that, he revised it into what you might call the foundation for this story and the studio bought it. It was the first script of his that he sold, but what he wrote, um, was not really the film we ended up with. It was darker in tone. I didn't really have any comedy at all in it. He had his own, his own ideas for who would be in the film. I, I, I believe that his, uh, first pick for the lead role as John Spartan was Mickey Rourke. And, uh, that evolved over time. Lenkov did go on and do other work, um, not not much. He wrote the second and third Universal Soldier movies, um, and he wrote the, the Pauly Shore movie Son-in-Law. Uh, most Amazing. of his, to our point a moment ago, most of his work was in music videos. Oh, I should mention, the title apparently did come from him. There's a story about how when he was working as a production assistant, he was so broke he was driving around in a wrecked-up car that had a boombox chained to the back seat that he was using as a stereo. And that he would constantly listen to the song uh, Demolition Man by the police. And that's where the title for the film came from, which is funny. I want to put a little asterisk, asterisk, even though this isn't related to what we're talking about, because I think this is hilarious. In Kuwait, the Arabic title they used for this movie is Rambo the Destroyer. And they did that on, (laughs) right? They did that on purpose because Rambo was such a massively popular movie in Iraq of all places, that they thought that associating this movie with that one would help them sell tickets, even though it was the same actor playing a totally different character. First um,
2: Blood, or like this Rambo sequel?
1: They just called it Rambo, Rambo the Destroyer. I, I mean, the, oh, the first one, I think. Okay. Yeah, because the second, second or third one, I think, is where he goes to Afghanistan. I can't imagine yeah, that one would the be very he's popular. He's just like
2: killing Middle Easterns indiscriminately. Yeah, those
1: movies are very, <laughs> very much like height of the Cold War anti communist propaganda, and like yeah. Uh, anyway, so Lenkov Lenkov uh, wrote this original movie and it sold. He sold it in 1988. At some point, I'm not even sure anymore what the exact order was with these writers. So I'm not going to bother trying to keep track. But another writer named Walter, Wright yeah, Daniel Waters, got involved. He wrote a script for a very popular 80s cult movie called Heather's. Um, he did a huge rewrite, probably the most substantial rewrite. He added a lot of the comedy to the movie. In fact. He rewrote the script so substantially that there were so many different people involved in this. They ended up having a lawsuit-type thing called an arbitration with the Writers Guild, and the Writers Guild ended up giving Daniel Waters the primary credit for the script. Waters stated at one point that Universal City Walk in Universal City was his inspiration for what San Andreas would look like, or San Angeles, I mean, San Angeles would look like. I I guess for anyone who happens across this podcast is isn't familiar with L.A., Universal Studios operates a theme park, um, in a suburb called Studio City and adjacent to the theme park is a shopping and, and restaurant sort of district called CityWalk. At some point, another writer named Fred Decker got involved. Decker also has a mostly very dubious resume. The only other good thing he ever worked on was an 80s like teenage monster movie called Monster Squad um, because otherwise he wrote Robocop 3 and the 2018 version of Predator yeah, uh, he did. He did uh, uh, write some episodes of *Tales from the Crypt*, but <clears throat> this guy got involved with the script of this movie at some point. Apparently, his his uh, rewrites were unscripted, which I think is unfortunate because um, it was his idea to um, start the movie in '96 and have a sort of buildup as an origin. I'm sure we'll talk about the intro momentarily, but. The, the, the script at the point that he got it started in the future. He didn't think that was cool. He thought it would be better to, to start in 96. But yeah, anyway, so this all stemmed from, from an idea from Peter Lankov in the late 80s. It, the, the writing process resulted in an arbitration. And at, at one point when Joel Silver, the producer, got involved, he basically had to come up with some huge amount of money and just pay a bunch of people to go away because they were, they were all fighting amongst themselves over, like, who deserved what money and credit for the script and who the story really belonged to, and, and yet yeah, it was a whole, a whole thing. Quick other note, uh, two of the original choices after Silver got involved for the leads were Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Van Damme was offered the John Spartan part. He decided he'd prefer to play Phoenix, and when they proposed the idea to Seagal, Seagal didn't like it. Apparently he wanted to play the bad guy, too, So that came off... Aren't they rivals? We talked about this. And they hated each other. Yeah. I have a difficult time believing the two of them really ever would have agreed at this point, early 90s, to have been in a movie with each other, especially because Seagal talks shit about Van Damme all over the place.
2: Yeah. More on that on our Sidekicks
1: podcast. Right. Oh, dude, that was a great story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was. Um, Stallone initially passed on the the lead himself. Uh, It took several weeks of him thinking about it before he decided to come back. He originally wanted Jackie Chan to play Simon Phoenix. Um he and Jackie Chan are friends. But Jackie Chan declined it. Um, Jackie Chan, it's not in his heart to play a bad guy. Yeah, right? There's
3: no way he could have ever done
1: it. That's actually part of why he turned it down. He didn't think anyone would buy the idea of a guy that always played a hero playing the bad guy in a movie like this, and that he didn't really seem like the the, the bad guy type. Um, Imagine
2: nice guy Jackie Chan like doing the Simon Phoenix stuff, just like killing all these people. Right. No, no way. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. Not my guy.
0: No, not, not my
1: guy at all. Snipes nope. passed on the script so many times that Joel Silver uh, went to the set of a movie called... Called Rising Sun, based on a Michael Crichton book that Snipes was filming at the time. He Silver went to the script and basically begged Snipes to be in it, and he eventually eventually said yes. They originally cast Lori Petty to play the Sandra Bullock part in this movie. I heard about that. That's not that's that's wrong casting. It is wrong casting, and thank God, I mean, the apparently they always said creative differences. What I've heard is that she and Stallone hated each other. And and that they, after they shot, like, three days, four days, or something like that, they got footage. I wonder where it is. I'd love to see the footage they shot with Lori Petty, just out of morbid curiosity. Well, apparently they did the sex scene first, the quote-unquote sex scene. I didn't know that part. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I mean, so she <laughs> left and Sandra Bullock got the part. Uh, Tank
2: Girl is not the right
1: no. choice. <laughs> no, and uh, and thank God they cast uh, Glenn Shaddix to play uh, Mr. Bob, because he was awesome. That poor, poor gentleman has passed away, but... He was cool,
2: Mr. Bob.
0: Otho, uh, or, oh Otho, Otho,
1: Otho yeah, from
2: Beetlejuice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone had to say it.
1: Yeah, that's usually how I refer to him to people as well as like Otho, because that's the one part of his everybody really knows. And he's his... only totally
3: played the same kind of character in this movie though too. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that was a choice,
1: <laughs> right? I'm sure it was. But yeah, yeah. There's there's some other sort of notes I can lace in, but that's a lot of the background.
2: All right, that's cool. I like all that. Thank you. I, I gotta say,
0: uh, Monster Squad as a kid was my jam. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so I don't know how well it holds up. But I was kind of I just rewatched it. It's awesome. Is it nice? <laughs> it is okay. Yeah. I'm gonna have to check that out because I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed that movie as a kid. So when you said you Monster gotta put Squad, yourself
1: back in that same mindset from like when you were a kid watching it, and you'll enjoy the hell out of it. I swear. Nice. All right. <laughs>
3: Got to do that. Does it, Does anybody have a budget and
2: box office? Oh, nice. 57 million budget yeah and it was a success with 160 million dollars worldwide wow Woo. made a lot of money
3: yeah nice. they even had a sega genesis game i had it <laughs> me too dude i yeah. love that game yeah that was a good
2: one <laughs> yeah that's a really fun game actually the it's like you're typical for those that haven't played it it starts off kind of like a typical side scrolling shooter contra style but they introduce some other elements like it goes into top view mode on some levels and uh I guess Contra does that too. It's Contra no.
3: Three, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what's is so funny hard. about like Sega Genesis games from like that era? It's like they're all like if they were a good game, they were equally good. Like because they all were limited to only doing exactly what the other. Yeah, there was game like a really
2: Like do. all the em ups were the same. Like Golden yeah, Axe ex- and exactly. Streets of Rage were the same game. Yeah, right,
1: right. And <laughs> Final Fight, they would just change the backgrounds. Yeah. yeah. Streets of Rage
0: is one of my all-time favorite games. Part two specifically
1: is a great one.
2: Dude, I, I, I like the soundtrack for Streets of Rage, the first one. I, I put some of that in our Rumble in the Bronx podcast because I like it so much. Nice. <laughs> nice. I actually just downloaded a bunch
0: of ringtones because I'm setting an hourly alarm to remind me not to get distracted, and it's all <laughs> Streets of Rage 2 music and, like, Sonic 2 random, but
2: yeah. Well, let's talk about the movie itself, Demolition Man. Jonathan, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about the intro – it takes place in the in the distant future, does it not? Yeah, distant future. I I forget. Was it like twenty th- thirty two? No, I'm, I'm referring to 1996, man. The future world of uh, 1996. It was, well, it was released was in
3: '93, so three <laughs> years after that, '96. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they really so. thought things were going to go to shit fast. You yeah, know? yeah. Right? It's really
1: interesting that that LA would have decayed that quickly. <laughs> Really, to quickly. that point, right? It's worse and than Blade Runner. Stuff <laughs> burns fast. There's a man. Blade Runner
2: tie-in. I mean, uh, David L. Snyder who's the art director from Blade Runner. Yeah, he was fresh off of working on Super Mario Brothers: The Movie, and then Ugh. went on to do this one next. Nice. So, uh, wow, the Blade Runner inspiration.
1: Yeah. So he just he just said to himself, you know, I've done Blade Runner. Now there's the peak of my career. I'll just do garbage from this point forward. <laughs>
2: oh, demolition Man's not garbage. <laughs> like, well, and then he did this. this well, yeah. And actually, good. this is this
1: movie I like yeah. so. Uh-huh.
2: Anyway, Jonathan, what's going on in '96?
3: (laughs) So at that time, there's kind of like a—it's like the riots of '92 had never stopped. So the entire city of LA just burnt to the ground. The Hollywood sign is constantly aflame, I assume, all the time.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that was the weirdest part of that opening shot. Is it starts with the Hollywood sign being on fire? Like, why? It's
2: always like that.
1: Adam. Yeah. Just Oh, yeah. You know what? You're right. It's they installed like, a pyrotechnic,
2: so
3: it just always looks like it's on
1: fire. I go a few weeks without going to Hollywood, and I forget the sign's always on fire, you know?
3: <laughs> it spontaneously combusts every few weeks. Right. You know? <laughs> so, in, in the credit, or I'm sorry, in the intro, so you get this, like, you just see everything burning, like, house after house, and then you have this uh, helicopter scene where... Okay, I know some people refer to Stallone as Sly. I <laughs> fucking hate that nickname, okay? Like, that is the stupidest <laughs> nickname in the world for somebody that's named Sylvester. All right? I mean, if you were named so, Sylvester, would you want to go by your real name? <laughs> I'd probably go by my middle name. All right. I would not go by Sly. <gasps> oh. Jesus Christ. Anyways. Sylvester so, Aloysius Stallone. <laughs> I would still go by Aloysius. <laughs> <laughs> Al. <laughs> oh. Um, He's gonna be the guardian angel, angel angels in the outfield. They call me Al. I was thinking more of an Al Bundy guy, but you know, (laughs) you are more of an Al Bundy guy. Oh, that's not nice.
2: (laughs) No, I just mean you got his like I don't give a fuck demeanor. Wow. Hey, Mm -hmm. random
0: random fact about Al Bundy is he's (laughs) a practicing jujitsu artist, martial artist.
2: Wait, Ed O'Neill is a martial artist?
0: Yeah, he yeah. does jujitsu, and he's got, like, a black belt or something. Like he, no he I, I think yeah. we talked about
1: this a little when we did the Little Giants episode, but yeah, and he actually got drafted into the NFL, and, like, he won a, a play an award as a college football player. That guy's actually kind of a badass in real life. Holy shit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's more than just the cow kick Nelly in the belly in the barn, if you guys know right. that reference. <clears throat> Old school freeway fight scene, Mary with Children. <sighs> no.
3: I was a big fan yes. back in the day.
1: So was <laughs> I. I mean, I would have watched anything that Kelly Bundy was on. But yeah, absolutely. I think yeah.
3: she forced a lot of uh, young men to go through puberty sooner than than later. Yeah, that was definitely
1: the first one of the first realizations that um, I was interested in girls for sure. <laughs> no, for sure. Same,
0: same. Her and Pamela Anderson. Oh, oh, oh! The nineties. There was that
1: like competing show, that like ripoff version of Mary with Children with the Mister Floppy. Oh my God! Yeah, and had Nikki Cox in it. And what's the name of the guy who played the lead? I always forget his name. Oh, and he'd go down to the basement, and the the puppet was Bobcat Goldwaith's voice. Yeah, and they, they would talk to the. I, I kind of liked that show. It was totally a knockoff, but I kind of like. Well. I kind of liked it partly cuz Nikki Cox was on it, but um same. <laughs> I know what show you guys are talking about. Well, what was Unhappily that show ever yeah. after? That's the yeah, thank you. don't
3: know anything about it. Thank you. It. Yeah,
1: that was that was a fun show. It was. It wasn't that bad.
2: So in uh, in 1996, <laughs> Simon Phoenix has he's kidnapped a bunch of people from a bus, I guess, like 80 people, something like 30 that. 30 people. 30 people, a lot of people. And he's holding them hostage and he kind of has this big compound he basically owns part of the city. No one wants to fuck with him. The cops, no one. But you got to send a maniac to catch a maniac. And that's where we meet.
1: <laughs> I mean, they remind you of that line twice. <laughs> they sure do, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> send a maniac to catch a maniac.
3: <sighs> well, what kind of maniac bungee jumps out of a helicopter? You know right. What I mean? Like, and expect... I, I, I don't know. Oh, that was so dumb. I had so many problems with that scene, okay? <sighs> like, you can't bungee from a helicopter. Like, wouldn't that, like, totally tilt it to the side? Yeah, and definitely runs that? the
1: risk of snapping you back up into the rotors. Yeah, like- <laughs> exactly. But but
3: somehow Stallone, like, stayed close enough to the ground so he could, like, on the return of the first bounce, land on the ground. Like, what the fuck? It didn't seem like there was even a bounce. It just seemed
0: like he jumped with a rope and kind of just almost hit it 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 made no sense
2: yeah it was it was clearly like something they you know in editing it works for sure like in in practice probably not i'm kind of of two minds about this intro scene like you got to start a movie like this with some action right you got to introduce us to our hero and our villain you kind of have to but at the same time like someone sees this movie for the first time they might be turned off by this intro scene because this is not what the movie is.
1: No, and I like I agree with you completely in the sense that like we've got to have the setup and that was the writer's point as well as was starting the movie in 96 was to have that setup. But like but yeah, it just it seems like a lot to start the movie with and the city's like completely apocalyptic and yeah.
3: Yeah, so, I don't I don't think that that really like needed to even be there. Like it didn't need to be that apocalyptic scene for this, you know? Right. <laughs> no dystopian Los Angeles? Yeah, it could have just been, like, you know, industrial area Los Angeles somewhere, and yeah. Phoenix had this warehouse with with gasoline stored in all these plastic barrels. <laughs> yeah, you know I agree with so- you
1: completely. I, I think, in retrospect, the only reason they would have done it this way is because there's that moment later on, which we'll get to, where Cocteau talks about how bad things got before he took over, and yeah. I can only imagine they wanted the beginning to be the framework for that, but I still agree with you. I don't think that was necessary.
2: Of course, John Spartan does apprehend Phoenix, like he takes him out and uh, he he doesn't find the hostages and Phoenix like has rigged the place with explosives, his compound. So the whole building blows up, which is a pretty phenomenal looking explosion.
3: So I have, I have something to say about that though. I did a little reading. Okay. So because, so he, he supposedly had C4. C4. Yeah.
2: C4. SIFO?
3: So, right. SIFO. He's got CFO. You, you, you got SIFO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And don't you dare quote a movie that you hate. Okay? <laughs> <I'm sorry>. Stop <laughs> it. Right now. <laughs> Anyways, there there's this theory that He was going to blow up the hostages regardless because just setting the building on fire with the gasoline, C4 would have just burned like wood. It has to have an initial explosion for C4 to actually explode, right? So him lighting this gasoline wouldn't have never killed the hostages because the C4 would have just burned, but he previously had to rig it in
1: order to explode everything. I think
2: he also previously killed them before Spartan even got there, right? Is that
1: Yeah, but that's, that part that's always another theory, muddled though, to me too. Oh, uh, well, yeah, so there's actually a part later in the movie during their climactic fight where you can hear Snipe's character say that they were already dead. What's kind of interesting about that is the 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 studio was a, didn't like the original cut of the film for multiple reasons and it got re-edited and one of the things that got edited out was an additional fight scene that was supposed to take place on a bridge. And during the course of that fight scene, um, Snipes, Simon Phoenix, had a whole monologue about how he'd killed those people long before John Spartan had even gotten there. And that that he lied in court intentionally just to fuck with John and and, and make sure that John would go to prison with him. But because they cut the scene, they needed a way to get that into the movie anyway. So during that climactic fight, which we'll talk about when we talk about it, they just snipped out the dialogue they'd recorded from the bridge fight and dubbed it into the scene. And because they couldn't make Sn- Snipes' lips match what he was actually saying, they had the lines delivered while the camera was looking at Spartan from the back of Phoenix's head.
2: Where he's about to give him the haircut.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But yeah, this, the hostage – you find out way later in the movie, the hostages were already dead at the point that Spartan got there. He did not kill them when the building blew up, I mean, which wasn't really his fault anyway, but yeah.
2: This part has never really clicked with me, but John Spartan goes to jail along with Simon Phoenix. For some reason, it's like his
1: fault they got killed. Yeah, they blame him for making the building go up. They, they, they Basically, the claim I think is supposed to be if you hadn't shown up, he wouldn't have detonated the building. I mean, but, and obviously none of them knew that the, ter- the hostages were already dead, but yet yeah, it seems, seems like a bit much to put him in prison for life because this other dude kidnapped and put these people into a building.
2: I like this future where cops are held accountable.
1: I like that part. <laughs> what do you yeah, mean? You know, but unfortunately, Kathy? the Spartan character didn't shoot somebody in the back for, for having the wrong skin color, you know? He, he fucking, he led, no. yeah.
2: Yeah, different, yeah.
1: Yeah. I got a I got a couple notes
0: about the opening scene. Okay. Uh, one, the music sounds very Danny Elfman, 89 Batman. And mm-hmm. so I looked up the composer, and randomly he has an Academy Award for Frida. And he did Interview with the Vampire and Final Fantasy, oh, a the good movie, one. which is so random. His yeah. name's Elliot Goldenthal. So that was mad random. And also, there's a line that Simon says to Spartan, which is, I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached. Yeah. And just gonna say that's great foreshadowing
1: it is Um, when the building blows up at the beginning that was a real that was not a scale model that was a real building demolition well that was T2 style yeah, it was T2 style. The, man, T2 is a whole separate... They were not supposed to do that to that building. They got in a lot of trouble for that. Really? It cost them a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> they, they explicitly... The contract they signed said they were not going to damage that building. No one had even moved into it yet. <laughs> I think we talked about that in the T2 podcast, but yeah, it's a whole, whole separate thing. This building was supposed to get wrecked. It was uh, it was an abandoned building, a, a, a hardware and manufacturing company based in Louisville, Kentucky. It was slated for demolition anyway. The producers found out about it somehow and basically said, hey, we need to blow up an industrial-looking building for this movie. Can we just set things up? We'll pay for everything. Can we just set things up so that we capture the demolition on camera and use it as footage for this film? And the owners of the building said, fine. It's fine you get to pay all the cost of doing everything. But then as a tie-in, the, they had a, a uh, contest hosted through MTV and the winner of the contest got to press the button that set off the detonation of this building. Oh, my God. So there is – I mean I, I, I didn't bother to look. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or somewhere though because it was on TV. It was on part of an MTV pre-production special where that some, some member of the public who won a contest got to blow this building up as they captured it for the film. Which is pretty cool.
2: Did you do you get to push down a lever like downward? Like
1: yeah, on the like, like I Acme can be cartoon style. Yeah. I can say this with absolute confidence because it's actually I swear to God, this is part of what my father did for a living. Most of the time, it's a control board with a button on it. Oh. yeah. The disappointment.
2: The ah. Oh. Can they change it so it's a
1: lever? They could. Anything. <laughs> anything that will actuate to send the signal to the you could use. You could build build one like that if you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. I want
0: to be dressed in a Wile E. Coyote suit. (laughs) That's called a plunger,
2: by the way. Uh, The thing you push down? No, you're thinking of a a toilet thing. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm (laughs) sure of it. No, I clearly know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John Spartan and Simon Phoenix, they both get sent to prison. And in 1996, you don't just go to regular prison, you get frozen. They put you in cryo prison.
1: It's really strange to me that they chose to set the opening of the film in '96 and then have the prisons work this way. They could have started the movie any time they wanted. In fact, it would have made way more sense for it to start way later in the future, so that it was more believable that LA had really gotten that bad. They could have started the film in 2032 and had John wake up in 2060 or something. You know, it', it really weird to me that like, oh, it's only three years from when this movie's coming out, but we think by then they might be freezing people in prison. <laughs> I mean, clearly, it's not really what they were thinking. But it's just such a weird stretch for three years from now. We're already doing this. He got Han soloed. He did. Okay, I want to talk about that. Thank you for saying that. Because Han getting frozen in carbonite actually makes more sense than the way they do this. The freezing makes no sense to me. But if you're in carbonite, are you actually frozen? Well, they do say frozen in carbonite, right? I mean... I think they mean frozen in the sense that he's... frozen in the moment. He's not moving, like... Suspended animations yeah <laughs> yeah, I guess you 're right it 's not really like like a temperature thing, so okay yeah i 'll accept that, but uh, with this, they make them get into like a circular vat and then they fill it with something that looks like liquidized liquid nitrogen, and then they drop a a, a capsule into it that flash freezes it, and it looks like you 're going to drown in this stuff before it gets frozen, like Stallone John Spartan almost drowns in his in his cell before they freeze him. And and then he gets frozen in this awkward position where he's, like, screaming and half-hunched over. And, like, you're writing sci-fi. You can make this process work any way you want. Literally any way you want. You're inventing the rules as you go. You could have him just walk into a chamber. He's like, you remember what the capsules looked like in Lost in Space, where they're standing up. Yeah, you, right? you could you could just do something like that. He walks in, he sits down, his arms are to side, and they bam, they freeze the chamber. Fine. Like, why why would they design this in a way that requires them to half drown in this liquid before they get frozen? I know the exact reason why. Why. Because they wanted to show his ball sack so many times that's
3: why.
0: (laughs) Gross. Uh, I thought it it. was like part of the punishment, like you let a bunch of people die, so you get to half drown. It's like waterboarding right before they freeze you. (laughs)
3: Yeah. (laughs) That is a forewarning for anybody who hasn't seen this movie yet. You're going to see Sylvester Stallone's ball sack. Gross. That was one of my
2: notes too. There's some weird camera work. They don't have to have the camera come up this way. But they no. have it come from under him when he's like yeah. in the fetal position and you can just see right between his legs. Yeah.
1: yeah I mean, I, I think they were thinking from that, thinking about that purely as an FX shot. You know, this is cool 180 as he freezes. and it, that, In that sense, it is kind of cool. But like, yeah, why would you not at that rate have him wear shorts or something? You know, you don't go from, from the bottom up with a guy who's not wearing any pants.
3: This is probably but. the only movie that I've ever seen that showed
1: ball that <laughs> didn't show – breasts where right, they managed to avoid it with robert patrick and t 2 i don't think you ever yeah. really see i mean not that i'm looking that hard but i don't think you've no, really you know you don't well yeah. no but, there's
2: th- i think his dickhead pops out but they edited it out later seriously <laughs> uh, all right
1: maybe i don't know <laughs> In
2: a later release check your
1: well, older versions he did say that at one point where they were filming that a, like a tour bus went by and he was just standing there full frontal naked which is pretty hilarious <laughs> you right pictures. I'm sure some some tourist somewhere has got full funnel nude pictures of him making that movie standing under an overpass
3: I'd like to pretend that that was like a, a tour bus full of Chinese people right, and me they too, all for some have like amazing cameras right? and there's thousands of pictures out there. And these people are like, yeah, there was just some fucking naked homeless guy. And like all these people were filming him.
1: Some guy 20 minutes later was lambasting his wife. You said this camera wasn't a good idea. Look <laughs> at yeah, what I got. You can I get them
2: on the Chinese black market. If you, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> in the street, the, the, uh, the
3: alley markets. <laughs> oh,
2: so they're frozen. The movie takes place mostly 70 years in the future, 2032. Before we see the characters again, we're kind of introduced to the future itself, and we get more and more as the movie goes on, but I'd like to talk about the future, and uh, Cavi, why don't you tell us some of the things that are going on in 2032? It's a a different world, is it not? Yeah.
0: Real quick before I jump into that, I got to say one thing about the, the cryo prison, and there's like this giant claw for a hand. And that actually was the inspiration for the creators of Toy Story and Pixar, the claw that actually comes from this movie. Really? The claw? Really? Really? Oh, that's the
1: claw, awesome. claw? No. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, why? Why this and not an actual toy claw machine? To- yeah. No, uh, I, I'm just.
0: I'm just joking. It just reminded me of like as oh, I okay. see the <laughs> ice cube coming around, and
2: it's like, I'm like what claw. kind of deep cut research has this man done?
1: The whole. Uh, yeah. The way they get moved around is a whole nother discussion. For sure.
2: Uh, <laughs> so the future.
0: The future. We start out with Ladina Huxley, Sandra Bullock's character, and she's driving around in a Tesla.
3: That's my same note, dude. <laughs>
0: yeah, it looks totally like a Tesla. And and we're in L.A., which is freaking awesome because all of us are in the L.A. area. I grew up in L.A., so she's nice. on Santa Monica Boulevard. And well,
3: we would all definitely be in San Angeles, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: then we get uh, a glimpse of a periscope, Ninja Turtle style, and it sprays some graffiti on the wall and. And then it gets all burnt off, which was really cool.
2: Yeah, so th- I want to speak to that because they established that like pretty early that there's like some people that are against the way society is, and, and they show us that with the, the graffiti thing. But it's like a really complicated graffiti mechanism. It doesn't seem like they have a lot of resources, even though it's the future. So like the fact that they've assembled this thing to come up and just spray graffiti on something they know it's going to immediately
1: get removed from is... Is weird, is it not? It is weird. Well, I mean, talking about weird, can we just talk about San Angeles for a moment? Because the concept of San Angeles is actually the thing about this movie that has always literally bothered me the most. It makes no fucking sense. At all. If you think about it. I mean, I know they explain to you that, like, basically everything between Santa Barbara and San Diego has become one giant megalopolis fine. But where's the rest of the country? (laughs) Where's the rest of California? Where's the California government in Sacramento? Where's the federal government? Where are the other states? Why would the state government in Sacramento and the federal government in Washington, D.C. let this Cocteau guy turn this megaplex with tens of millions of people into it into his own fascist dictatorship? They never for a moment, not even once, not even passingly ever, ever even suggest that the rest of the country is gone. The only thing they ever tell you is that they rebuilt San Angeles from the remnants of these other areas after a massive earthquake. Fine, fine, an earthquake leveled everything and you rebuilt, but that doesn't, doesn't explain how this Cocteau guy became a dictator. Where is the president? No. Why does this guy get to set all the rules like this? It makes no fucking sense.
3: Just make up just make up like your own story, you know? Like uh when when all of it got destroyed in that earthquake, California broke off, you know, like they predicted <laughs> happening. San Andreas' fault allowed it to push away into the ocean, and right. then the president of the United States. Schwarzenegger <laughs> said you know what Cocteau go ahead you can fucking have your own little country right yeah, there make it, it San Angeles let's see if your if your
1: model works out right. And if that works then well, and then expand it, later in the film Cocteau basically makes it sound like his end game is to literally take over everything that that's that right right getting Phoenix out of cryostasis was a way not only to consolidate additional power within San Angeles, but then to spread his sort of like pacifist dictatorship everywhere. So, I mean, like what's – it doesn't make any sense. There's no background for that at all.
2: Yeah, so you say pacifist dictatorship. That's a good way to describe it.
1: Yeah. Because there is essentially
2: no violence and there's a police force, like a singular police force for this really – Really large area. Yeah, I mean,
3: yeah, they have like thousands of officers for no crime. Like, what the hell? But they fight. seem to
2: be out of one building.
3: Like, yeah, like, yeah. You know, dude, that that. Like uh, the distance, if you had – if they were like based in like center of San Angeles, like you're driving 65, 75, 100 miles right. each direction to get to the opposite ends of
1: the city. Yeah, exactly. Everything from San, Santa Barbara to San Diego. I mean Los Angeles County <laughs> by itself is already the largest county in the United States. It's 2,000 square miles some odd by itself. So, absolutely, yeah. Right. Also, that police station, the San Angeles police station is that building in Westlake next to the 101 freeway that you can see the lawn of if you're going north or south on the 101. The funny shaped one, it was, a, it was the Baxter building for several oh, years. Yeah. And prior to – at the time they shot this movie, that was actually the West Coast headquarters of GTE Telephone. But uh, that, that building in Westlake Village, California is the police station. How do you know all of this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a repository for useless information. <laughs> Are you sure you weren't built by Tesla. I I, look I might have been built by the same company that built the artificial people (laughs) in Ghost in the Shell
2: (laughs) there's another one we'd like to reference
1: as long as as we're picking out my numbskull facts the the police cars were a General Motors prototype vehicle that GM didn't have enough of for the movie so the producers actually paid to have extras made so that they could use them for the film that's pretty epic (laughs) they have to destroy some of them yeah, I'm sure some of them got scrapped <laughs> afterward, which is- The one uh, that got filled with foam. Right. I, I know that one or two of the cars definitely went back to GM, but yeah. I really liked uh, Sandra Bullock's uh, Office. I love all the
0: Easter eggs in there. They're pretty amazing. Yeah,
2: She's got a Lethal Weapon 3 poster. Dude. Yeah. And-
0: awesome movie, by the way. And a Red Hot Chili Peppers poster. Right.
2: Joel Silver was the producer on that and this. So there's kind of our buy-in.
1: And when uh, when the original writer was trying to sell the script for this, the first Lethal Weapon was a big inspiration point. Shane Black wrote that script with a writing partner. I always forget what the writing partner's name was. But they got – they'd never written anything significant before and they sold the script to – for the first Lethal Weapon for a million dollars, which at the time was – not only a record for a script sale, but a, a massive record for a first-time script sale. So, I mean, you can only imagine, at, from that point forward, every other nobody in Hollywood who's trying to sell a script is like, I want to be the next that guy. You
2: know? <laughs> so, in 2032, Simon Phoenix, he has his parole hearing, which I guess he gets, but John Spartan doesn't get. Whatever. He's, he's clearly, like, a psycho murderer, but... <laughs> He gets his parole hearing, and uh, he easily escapes prison. And later we find out why. I yeah. mean, he was he was intended to escape.
3: So the reason that Spartan didn't get his parole yet was because he wasn't eligible until a minimum of two, year 2046.
1: But that's crazy. Simon Phoenix was eligible first. Yeah, that is kind of yeah. weird. Well, maybe, I don't know. I, I'd also, little detail mention when when Spartan goes in to prison earlier in the movie, the the deputy warden is the one that puts him in a cryo, and it, it's it's uh, oh crap, now I've forgotten the character's name. But uh, it's it, later on when he and Phoenix get brought out, it's the same guy, but but decades older, and he's now the prison warden.
2: Right. right? Yeah. Speaking of wardens,
3: uh, the warden <laughs> from Shawshank is uh, the police force, dude. I fucking hate that guy, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. I hate him. I love the glasses they gave him for this movie. I promise what happened there. John Spartan. I'm Chief of Police George Earl.
2: We didn't thaw you out for a family reunion. Consider it fortunate the lieutenant even bothered to do a probe on your wife. This is about you and the cryocon, Simon Phoenix.
1: <laughs> he
2: plays a dick pretty good, though.
1: He does. He's very good at it.
2: Do you just hate him as an actor or his characters?
1: No, I think he's a great actor. He just,
3: like, <laughs> yeah. the characters that he plays, he's so hateable, you know? Like, you hate him so much that you like him.
1: Right?
2: <laughs> so, Simon Phoenix escapes prison and immediately just starts fucking killing people, killing guards, killing everyone in his path, essentially. And there
1: is a little a mention there for a moment that something is weird, is up, because he, he's able to release himself from the the sort of hospital bed gurney thing they've got him on he's able to release himself by issuing a verbal command and right before he kills one of the guards the guards like how did you know how to release yourself from that and phoenix's response is i have no idea even he doesn't know how he knew how to do that but did we mention the line like what the 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 code was i don't remember it It was teddy bear teddy bear yeah (laughs) so random I I think it really underlines where that society's at, you know, that everything's got to be nice. Everything has to be pleasant. Be well. Be well, yeah. You can't even say goodbye to people. It's be well. My notes, too many be wells. (laughs) (laughs) Right?
2: What are some of the other stupid shit they say? There's be well.
0: Enhance your calm.
1: Yeah, enhance your calm. <laughs> enhance
3: your calm. Look, you do what you got to do, I know what I got to do. I got to nail that maniac and put Psycho's him on ice. Or that's where I'm going to be. Enhance your calm, John Sparrow. Look, I've had it with enhancing my calm. I'm going to find that Psycho Phoenix and enhance his calm. And when I'm done, I'm going to turn all my attention to that Fruit Loop cocktail.
1: I'm going to find him and I'm going to enhance his calm. Dude, Bob always says greetings and salutations when he meets people. Right. Oh, and thou. then <laughs> and then, if you use
3: any uh, profanity, you get fined.
2: Are you shitting me? John Spartan, you are fined
0: one credit for a violation of the verbal morality statute. What the hell
3: is that?
1: <laughs> John Spartan, you are fined one credit. Yeah, and if you use profane words, I think it's more than twice in a row, you actually get the police called on you. <laughs> really? Yeah, they establish right. that the Seamer Phoenix is in the phone booth. He curses once, he gets... A citation. He's like, what the, then he says something like, what the fuck is this? He gets a second citation. Then he says something like, fuck you. And the third time the voice, the recorded voice says, I'm notifying the police department that you won't stop cursing. Basically, So so
3: there's an interesting story for that. Okay. So Phoenix at this point doesn't have the chip in his hand like everybody else does. So they don't call out his name prior to the fine, like everybody else did. When, uh, when what's her name? The, uh, Luxley, when she fi- when she got fined, it came over the system it announced her name. And then you're fined a half credit for saying, God damn it. Or whatever she said. Right. But every time Phoenix cursed, it just came out with, you are fined one credit. You're oh, fined one credit. That's yeah.
2: That's good continuity right there.
1: Yeah. Cause okay. he doesn't have the chip. They did a so. nice job. There were a couple of moments where I caught them missing it, but not many. They did a good job of yeah. the continuity on that in general. Yeah. There were a lot of instances where if you're paying enough attention, one of them curses in, in conversation and just, just slightly in the background on the other side, you can hear the thing issuing a citation, which I thought was kind of a funny touch. Yeah. Well, that, that sets up to like when he like disappears, they're like, well,
3: in order to find him, we have to wait until another MDK comes up because they couldn't actually track him like you could with every single person in San Angeles.
1: And I love that the police chief's plan for that is we'll just wait till he kills somebody, which is basically what Spartan says too. Like, that's really what you want to do. You want to wait till he murders someone and then go to that place, at which point he'll be gone already.
2: We already have a backup plan. We can just wait for another code to go red. And when Phoenix performs another murder-death kill, we'll know exactly where to pounce. Great plan. Thank you. He likes your plan, chief. Yeah, but basically, they're completely incompetent, mm-hmm. when they, which is why they bring John Spartan into the mix. And essentially, like, they don't know how to handle murders. They don't know how to handle any real
1: crime at all. Which leads to one of my other issues with that whole San Angeles thing is like, where's the military? Even if your police has got no idea how to deal with somebody like this, are you telling me that suddenly in 2032, the most heavily militarized country on the planet has got no military left? It doesn't make any sense. That's a good point. Right?
3: Like, ugh. telling you, they broke off and floated into the ocean. Right.
2: <laughs> so, John Spartan, Sylvester Salone comes back. He's, you know, he's not super happy about what happened to him and the fact that he lost his family, essentially, and that he's now just basically being used by the police. But he does agree because it's Simon Phoenix, and he understands the threat of Simon Phoenix. Yeah. One of the first things he does is he goes to take a shit. <laughs> I mean, as you do after you're frozen for a, a really long time. I guess we have to talk about it. Cavi. the three seashells, I mean, what what are they? <laughs> how do they work? I don't know. Every, everyone that's ever talked about Demolition Man has had this conversation, but I guess it's our turn. I guess so. I mean, it sounds highly unsanitary,
0: because how, how would you, if everybody's using them... To yes.
3: yeah, it just, it just sounds it okay, sounds really something. Great. Aside from about. unsanitary, that they, they look like they would fucking hurt, man.
1: All right, so I'm not scraping my asshole with seashells, you know. Right. Like, damn. I, I I wasn't sure how much we were going to touch on this, but I actually made several notes for myself so I'd remember to bring this. It's actually multi-point here. Oh, okay. I, I, Cavi, I don't want to talk over you though. No, please do. Please. Do. All right. <laughs> so. Daniel Walters, who was or Waters, excuse me, was who was one of the many screenwriters involved in this movie. He said that the idea for the three seashells came about while he was writing a scene where where Spartan has to go to the restroom. Which begs the, the first question right off the bat is why did there even need to be a scene where Spartan goes to the restroom? Not really integral to the plot. I, I like the only reason I can see you doing it is specifically to inject this kind of humor into it, which makes it even funnier when you find out that he was not writing the restroom scene specifically to get the seashells in. He had not had the seashell idea yet. He didn't have the seashell idea until after he decided to write a scene where Spartan has to go to the bathroom. And he only got the idea because he was sitting on the toilet trying to come up with ideas when he called some other screenwriter he knew. And this other screenwriter said, Oh, well, I've got a bag of seashells on the toilet in my bathroom. Maybe you can make something funny out of that. And that's where the idea literally came from. Daniel Waters has admitted to this. This is where the idea for the seashells came from. So there was no reason for it other than he decided to write a scene where Spartan went to the bathroom and then needed to make it funny and called this other screenwriter and got this weird seashell idea. Then Sylvester Stallone actually posited in interviews how he thought the shells would work. And let's just say you use two of them like chopsticks and the third one to clean what's left of the mess up. That was Spartan's or or Stallone's idea for how to do this. But then Cavi's absolutely right. They never address for a moment, even if you assume that's how this would work, how the hell you keep them clean in between users or if you just throw them out every time you're done with them. Like... Hence, the, the uh,
3: San Angeles broke off into the ocean. They've got excess seashells.
1: There was a point in pre-U.S. history where certain tribes of coastal Native Americans would u- use shells as a type of currency, so maybe. <laughs> like. did, did you say toilet paper?
0: Oh, they used handfuls of wadded paper
3: back in the 20s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy that you're happy, but the place where you're supposed to have the toilet paper... You got this little shelf with three seashells on it.
2: (laughs) He doesn't know how to use the three
3: seashells.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can see how that could be confusing.
3: But he doesn't know about the seashells, right? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Rob Schneider, dude. Jesus. (laughs)
2: Yeah, your friend Rob Schneider's in this movie. Yeah, my buddy. (laughs) My buddy. Well, you met him, right?
3: yeah, I I met him. I actually was on a plane from Sacramento back to Burbank, and uh, I sat next to him and his mother. And uh, he is like super short, naturally kind of like a light brown hair, almost an orange color, super freckled like (laughs) ginger Kind of guy. Really? And his mother was like a four foot eight like Filipino guy. Uh girl. <laughs> a lady. <laughs> Late woman.
1: Woman. Gow. What was, guy. What was the four name foot of the eight Filipino guy? <laughs> what was the name of the baseball movie he was in with the guy from Napoleon Dynamite?
2: The bench benchwarmer. warmers. Bench warmers, thank yeah. you.
1: On Canaan and Agora. If you get off the Canaan exit, the Pizza. And, hut. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that building's an Indian restaurant now. It is. Yeah, it has yeah. been for like 15 years already. I used to
2: work right by that building and I would go there almost every day for lunch. After a while, I started gaining a little weight, so I had to stop.
1: But. My I, my family moved to Agora when I was 18. My brother went to high school at Agora High. So he and his friends used to go to that pizza hut for buffet all the time. They were probably in there with you at some point. That
2: was one of the last old school dine-in pizza huts. It was.
1: Yeah, And so they – yeah, as you, I think you apparently know. They filmed a, a pizza hut scene for that movie, The Benchwarmers, at that pizza hut. And there was a liquor store – in that same shopping center that I think is still there. And my brother and I stopped to get something or other at the liquor store, soda or whatever. And they happened to be, they happened to be filming that scene. So they had the restaurant, the pizza hut closed off and there was a gate like six feet out just to keep people from bothering it. But the other restaurant, the other businesses were still open. And my, my brother thought, I mean, at this point he was, I think he must have been 15, 14, 15 Something like that He thought some of those old Rob Schneider Adam Sandler movies were hilarious So we got out of the car And we were trying to figure out what they were shooting And my brother sees Rob Schneider come out To talk to somebody And, and my brother goes, oh my god, it's Rob Schneider <laughs> And he turned around and stared at us For a good 30 seconds and we just left
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, Side
1: awkward. note, that liquor store
3: Has an amazing deli in the back And uh, their sandwiches Are fucking
1: awesome <laughs> Are you thinking of the same one?
3: Yeah, you know where where uh, Island Burger is now, yeah. right on the corner, and then there's a little liquor store right on oh, that corner okay. liquor that's store. That's the
1: opposite direction. Oh, that's the opposite yeah. side. So it, oh, yeah, okay. if it's just going the other way, like a half a block next to the 76 station. There's oh, little okay. Strip there. Okay, yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that li- the other liquor store, right. dude, amazing deli, right? Oh. There used to be I think it's It might not No they moved to the newer shopping center There's a, a bakery there That makes their own bread It's amazing We were not talking at all About Demolition Man At this point
2: Anyway <laughs> If if we're good at anything It's Tangents <laughs> uh, Is that by the Canyon
1: Club? Right Yeah Yeah it's not It's Down the street Yeah like a block Down the street Yeah the Canyon Club's Off of what Chesbro And yeah it's just At Canaan Like at the corner
3: Yeah Canyon's in between In between Canaan And Chesbro Yeah there you go nice yeah back to the three seashells um (laughs) i
0: never thought of like throwing them away at each use but they're somewhat biodegradable so that would make sense like they just get replaced each time some some of you would that would be their full-time job though like you're (laughs) replace the seashells you're
1: you're the seashell gopher (laughs) Here's a bag full of feces covered seashells. (laughs) Do something with these.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Why is this better than toilet paper again?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's like, even if you were looking for a joke to stick into the bathroom scene, like why that, why would on earth would that ever be the direction they would go? They should have had like a laser bidet or something, you know? (laughs) Well, because they wanted to put in soft lasers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because the
3: joke was not the seashells. The joke was Spartan racking up the fines and printing out the tickets so he could wipe his ass. That <laughs> was go. the joke. That was the Literally payoff. wipe
2: his ass with his tickets. It's yeah. Something
3: we've all wanted yeah. to do. So let's like save paper by not wiping our ass, but let's waste paper by issuing these tickets that are automatically debited from your microchip anyways. You know what?
1: You're 100% right. The moment you said it, the same thing occurred to me. Absolutely, you're right. Why would they ever bother issuing a paper citation? They could just say, we, we find you. Right. Yeah. they got to pay email, somebody to right? go
3: refill all these ticket machines. It was paper. solely
0: for the purpose of him wiping his ass. Thanks a lot, you shit. do
3: You are You are So much for the seashells. <laughs> great setup, ups
2: i got to say, so this is just part of the world, and that's the fascinating thing about this movie, I think, is, like, it it builds a really strong world. It does. There's a lot of little funny stuff, like, it's not gut-busting hilarious that there's three seashells, but it adds to, like, the comedy of, like, this is such a strange and foreign future.
1: The parts where they get outside, there's two scenes uh, at least where Lenina and and John are driving around where, like, you can tell if you're really, really looking that they had to construct um, some amount of, of physical set work around buildings, but... The detail they paid to the city is actually pretty neat. There's a, a some of the scenes where Lenina and John are in the car together, and they get the exterior shots of them passing through parts of the city are like I think some of my favorite moments in the whole movie. There's, there's
2: some there's some mats in there for sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and it's and it's it, it, like the even aside from the San Angeles stuff, which I can let myself forget when I watch it. The, the one thing that always irritated me the, uh, the most about this movie, which I do like otherwise, is that they there are moments in it where you're like, wow, this is actually really good. And then they'll follow it up with a scene where it's, it's really goofy. It's like, you, you ruined it. You, you fucked your own moment. Like, you were doing really well there for a minute.
2: Let me know if we come across one of those, because I'd like to hear more about that specifically.
1: Absolutely. In fact, there's one toward the end I'll get to.
2: I want to take us to the museum, because when John Spartan's reinstated, that's, he goes to track down Simon Phoenix. He correctly- oh, determines that Simon Phoenix is going to go try to find a gun. But there are no guns, except in museums. So, so he goes- Which is
1: definitely not true, because all the underground people have them. Good point. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, they say that, but it's, that's not true.
2: Cabby, do, do you have any key points on the museum that were noteworthy to you?
0: There was a Rambo line. I'm trying to remember where that comes in. It's like somewhere right around... That time, they yeah. A Simon Rambo. Phoenix
2: takes a gun off like a, a mannequin, and he says like, "Thanks, Rambo," or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was definitely one that I that I caught that I thought was funny. Uh, there, there's a oh, there's a line uh, back to quotables. Um, as um, Wesley Snipes, uh, Simon Phoenix is walking through the Museum of, Vi- of Violence. He's trying to break in to one of the glass displays, and this gentleman comes up, and he's like what seems to be your boggle? (laughs) And then he he picks him up. He goes, how much do you weigh? And he picks him up and like throws his body through the glass window. It's freaking hilarious. He doesn't even wait
1: for the guy to answer. He's like, how much do you weigh? And then he basically just picks him up. He just does the math
3: in his head. He
1: ragdolls him. It's freaking hilarious.
3: (laughs) Done. So can I touch on two things about the museum? So, the first one was, how perfect was that, like, sidekick that Snipes delivered to the glass, though? Like, that was... I mean, I know you guys did, like, you know, martial arts when you were younger. But, dude, that was, like, great form, right? He's a, he's a he's multi a like, artist, yeah. yeah, he's yeah. a multi-black belt Dude, holder. it was perfect. Yeah. okay. Second, uh, my other note, this is probably the only museum that would ever exist in the world that had... Live ammunition and <laughs> the weapons were not locked or or disassembled in a way that yeah. you could not use them because there was no violence or anything like that anyways. Like the cops didn't even have a gun. So they to- totally thought that everything would have been perfectly secure i mean dude there's a fucking cannon dude there's a cannon there with cannonballs, and it worked yeah Yeah, like you know like (laughs) that would have never existed in any other museum at any point in time for sure you know so that that's but that's only because they don't have a military or (laughs) violence
1: quote unquote yeah you know speaking of the military things i brought that up a moment ago and you touched on it there is a moment where simon's getting the I don't remember what they call it the plasma gun whatever it is the one that basically just shoots energy balls the
2: phaser gun phaser gun
1: yeah and that's when what the, he calls it when the computer is talking about it it says that it was the last newly designed weapon of war ever and it was from like like 2012 or something which is really weird that like there's this hint that the whole world has gone this direction that militaries really don't exist anymore but it's like you've never touched on it doesn't make any sense I don't know the magnetic accelerator gun, the last produced handheld weapon of this millennium, displaced the flow of neutrons through a non-linear
3: cycloid electromagnetic accumulator.
0: So what, 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 in these batteries? What size? I mean, where the fuck do you find batteries in the future? What, is a battery store around, motherfucker?
3: Excuse
2: me, museum patron.
3: Can I... What, where's the radio shack? Huh? You would think knowing that there is this entire, like, free-thinking underground, like, rebellion, that there's no way you could fully get rid of the military. Right, exactly. Knowing they exist.
1: Yeah, or, or, like, find you know, maybe most of the police department doesn't need to be armed, but how about you still maintain a SWAT team that is? Like, just some small group of people who can be there in case you need them? Like, you can't – I mean, you're dealing with human beings. You can't ever guarantee every person is going to behave themselves. Like – (laughs) My problem
2: with the future is summed up by Simon Phoenix. He says this.
1: Look, you can't take away people's right to be assholes. Yeah, it's true. It absolutely is true. Um, One thing about the museum I wanted to touch on real quick is the snippet of 20th century street that, that, that John and Simon end up fighting in. Yes. The museum is built, I guess, over, like on top of, part of what used to be Los Angeles streetscape. And there's this... If you were standing down below the building level, it would be a skylight. But from inside the museum, there's this, this like bubble of glass, triangle shaped bubble of glass that lets you look down 20 feet, something like that, 15 feet, whatever it is, into like a a section of what used to be L.A. Street. I always, I don't, well, I think I know why a little bit like that. That's always been one of my favorite touches in any movie ever. I think it's partly because, like, when I was a little kid, the Natural History Museum was my favorite, and one of the reasons it was my favorite is because I always loved those huge room-sized dioramas they would make, the animals. I don't know if you guys ever saw this, but, like... Totally. Yeah, see, you, you go in, there's, like... One of them would be, like, a savanna life scape, and there would be animals from the savanna. They, they were real taxidermy animals, and there was... Each each diorama is literally the size of, like, this, this room. And uh, they go 20 feet back, and they're 10 feet wide, and there's trees, and there's background paintings to make it look like wildlife. Some of these dioramas have got seven or eight, like, full-sized animals in them. And that was always one of my favorite parts of that museum, is just you get to stand there and have this snippet of, like, this fantasy snippet of the world somewhere. And, and like, the, the idea that they've got this preserved piece of 20th century street sitting below the building, I always thought was really, really neat.
2: Yeah, and that's a fun scene because, you know, they the, their fight, their confrontation goes through a few phases. Like, they have the shootout with, like, the big guns, and he has, like, the big laser gun, but then they go, <laughs> right. go kind of hand-to-hand and Simon Phoenix has like crazy skills that maybe he didn't have before like in terms of his martial arts abilities and even his strength is increased. So.
3: Yeah, well he's totally discovering all these abilities that he never even knew he he has because he was essentially just programmed with these things while he was frozen.
1: Yeah. That was something I think they should have. They they wouldn't have needed more than sixty seconds worth, but it's something that I think they should have touched on a little more because there's the it it the early in the film and night when it takes place in ninety six Phoenix and Spartan have their fight. Spartan basically just knocks him out. The whole fight takes ten seconds, but then later in the movie, all of a sudden Phoenix puts up a much much bigger fight for himself and seems to be a much more competent physical person. And the only glimpse you get of that being the result of his. Prison training is when Lenina pulls up his whatever his programming guide, whatever you want to call it. it. When they're in the squad car, she pulls it up and it lists martial arts as having been on his on part of his program. And like they, they – I think they should have touched on that a little bit more. Where you know he's 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 basically. I mean, it doesn't really make any sense that somebody could learn martial arts through suggestion without ever having physically done any of it. But still, like I know kung fu, right? Exactly. At least in the Matrix, though, they pump it directly into your brain. Like the idea is, like the, the the information itself is transmissible. Where in this case, it's just like, how do you explain to a sleeping person how to do a roundhouse? <laughs> like I don't know, whatever.
0: In that diorama scene of the L.A. street when they're fighting. Spartan picks up a TV and swings it and there's an obvious stunt man part right there where it's just like just blatant stunt man.
3: It's pretty hilarious. It is. I like his line though. You're on TV, TV. <laughs> and he hits him
2: with a fucking TV. <laughs> I,
3: I didn't like that stupid part where there was water all over the floor, and uh, Spartan was using that like electrocution slash baseball bat oh, thing yeah. that they have, the and it was a Hitachi wand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a Hitachi. Uh, extra stimulation. Um, <laughs> it's so it's a backfashion <laughs> <guy>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he gets he gets up on the trunk of the car. And um, obviously, the, the tires of the vehicle are helping Spartan get insulated, right? So, he won't electrocute himself. But Jonathan's he, about
2: to go into full electrician mode. Yeah. Like, go ahead. Sorry, dude. <laughs> okay.
3: So, but he lights up the water. He, like, you know, snipes is standing in, like, probably a couple inches of water, maybe. But, like, okay, first of all, he's wearing rubber boots, okay? <laughs> so... That's bullshit. He's not going to get electrocuted from that. I mean, even if it were to jump through the cracks in his boots, whatever, it's not going to launch him 10 feet up into the air onto the hood of that car. It's going to hold him there and he's going to fucking cook, dude. Yeah. Like, you're not going to jump 10 feet up and onto the hood of the car. It's unbelievable.
1: Sure. My father knew somebody. I don't give a shit
3: what way. he was programmed with. You don't get out of that. No, it's true. God. And it's probably DC current coming out of that fucking thing. And it only takes like a few volts of DC current to kill you.
2: Yeah. Go straight to your fucking heart, dude. Detective
3: Comics current.
0: (laughs) He was also programmed with a God of Thunder.
3: (laughs) Uh, Right. It's Raiden. Yeah, exactly. That's the only explanation. You got it, Cavi.
2: At the end of the fight, though, he does get away. And uh, this is around the time we find out that Cocteau, who has engineered this whole society, has also brought back Simon Phoenix, specifically with the intention to kill a guy called Edgar Friendly. So it, I always thought it was a very interesting name choice. Like
3: he Played by a, Dennis Leary, by the way.
2: Yes, definitely. <laughs> it, it's very Dennis Leary-ish, his role. like, mm. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but... Uh, Cocktail wants to kill Edgar Friendly because it's a threat to his society. He has like a whole underground movement of people that just, I guess they don't want to like not curse and not eat meat and not eat chocolate. You know, they're, they want to be free thinkers. Exactly. Yeah.
3: I mean, isn't that the like basis of every rebellion though? Like, they don't want to be controlled by the masses and, and conform to this society and, and want to be able to think for themselves. Well, let me ask
2: you guys this. Would you be with, the scraps and Edgar Friendly, or would you be up above in the peaceful society?
1: I'm, I'm, I, I, see some of the benefits of that society, but I, I'd probably side more with the scraps. Like that's too much control. You can't control people that much.
2: You can't I take have, away people's right to be assholes.
1: Yeah, ditto. You know, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I. Society is built on the backbone of the idea that everyone participates in a social contract where we all basically follow the rules and some rules are fine like don't kill people don't go 160 on the freeway don't steal things that's fine let's do that but like yeah you can't have that much control it's really ridiculous you can't you're not allowed to eat meat you're not allowed to have salt you can't have alcohol people aren't allowed to have the body needs sodium dude it's unbelievable
0: i mean jesus christ abortion's illegal
3: and you have to have a license to get pregnant. So is having kids without yeah. a license? Yeah. Right. So it's insane. The, my my debate. I I would love to be down in the streets and eat fucking rat cheeseburgers, <laughs> but I would also love to be up having virtual reality banging with a <laughs> Sandra Bullock. You know, <laughs> like come on, man! I just want the best man. of both here. If somebody could I'd put go Sam. up and down, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh man. Sandra Bullock was looking pretty good in that movie. She was looking great. Yeah. Her and man and Diane Lane was in uh Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone like a year later. Something like a year and a half later. Yeah. If you could put the two of them from that time and oh man. But
2: Yeah, I mean Sandra Bullock's career took off after this movie, I think, right? That's where partly yeah, really she speed been was after this. Speed thing. came right. Yeah, yeah, Speed came
1: where She In fact, she'd already taken speed and there's there was a story about She took speed? Right, she'd already taken the part, and she was apparently on the set telling Rob Schneider about how she her next movie was a movie about a bus that couldn't stop. And he, refer, he at, at some point later on, he was like, "Oh, yeah, she was telling me about some bus movie, and it didn't sound very good. He didn't like the sound of it, <laughs> you know." Well, Rob Schneider knows how to pick roles. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, dude, if it weren't for Adam Sandler, he would have been in like three movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like he would have never acted again, right? After um, surf ninjas. Uh, surf ninjas. Yeah. The Sandra Bullock had been in a movie in like ninety ninety one called Love Potion Number no. Nine, and at the time, nobody knew who she was. A friend of mine went and saw that movie when it came out. I can remember both of us saying, "She's kind of attractive," but I have no idea who she who she is. Like, who is that woman? And yeah, all of a sudden, within two or three years of that, it was like this, and then Speed, and then those really launched her. Yeah, yeah.
0: To be fair, speed sounds absolutely ridiculous on paper, but then- It does. It's amazing.
1: It's, it, it is amazing. It is also kind of ridiculous in practice. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. yeah. You're right,
0: actually.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's, do you remember the part when Counter Reeves is like, cans, it's just cans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cans. It oh was no big. Is it it okay? was full of
3: cans. cans. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? Yes.
1: Oh, my God. Excellent well, line delivery. That sounded about the same as Keanu's Lendler. Lendler.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cans. It's just cans. Yeah. In
0: reality, that movie ends within the first three minutes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't see that, that last in a long time in real life.
2: Cavi, we were talking a little bit off the air, and uh, the next scene is where everyone goes to a fancy dinner at the nicest restaurant in town. Now, why don't you take it over from there?
0: R.I.P. the Mexican pizza. That's all I'm gonna say. They streamlined their menu, and we're losing our Mexican pizza. It's some foreshadowing. We lost
2: the double decker taco. What? Oh my god! When did we lose yeah. the double decker? it's been gone for like a year or something. Wow.
0: I guess you
1: need to switch to Del Taco. <laughs> How dare I love you? Del Taco. Me
0: too. <laughs> it's all about the cheesy gordita crunch with a nacho cheese Locos Dorito shell <laughs> inside. If you're, angry, if you're dude. gonna Give me too, damn it I need a Baja Blast <laughs> Either the Frozen or the regular I'm getting Taco Bell after this That That is the conclusion uh, Yeah, so good. And uh, also it's a fancy restaurant And uh, they're playing the Jolly Green Giant song on piano There's a guy It's my favorite part of that scene so It makes ridiculous. it so ridiculous
1: the Yeah, absolutely
3: Valley of the Jolly Green Giant Things from the Those garden. are the
1: classics.
3: Yeah, that was one small thing that we never touched on, which was they don't actually listen to like music or anything. They just listen to commercial jingles. From like the 50s and 60s.
1: Yeah. Which like,
2: are still the oldies for them.
1: Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it was just crazy to think about. Like, oldies for you is this stuff. What happened to all the music from the 90s? <laughs> like, yeah.
2: Why isn't Huxley listening to Nirvana?
1: Right? Right? Yeah, I mean, she does a Red Hot Chili Peppers
0: poster. Yeah, but probably listening to them is illegal. She she doesn't listen to the music, though. She's a poser. I
1: bet you're right, Cavi. I would bet that actually listening to that music in that society is probably completely outlawed. It's
0: too provocative. They're (laughs) wearing socks around their penises.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) The studio, the producers, originally tried to get Burger King. To be the only only restaurant left in existence, and Burger King said no, and they went to McDonald's and McDonald's said no. No,
2: they're not doing a rated R movie, and
1: right, and then they went to, um, especially after they freaked out about Batman Returns, then they then they went to Taco Bell, and Taco Bell's owners um, said, yeah, we'll do that. The problem for them became that Taco Bell at the time was not that prevalent outside the U.S. They did have international locations, but not not. So many, comparatively speaking, and um, the studio was concerned that people in other parts of the world wouldn't really be conscious of what Taco Bell was and wouldn't get the joke. But Pizza Hut had much, much more locations, many, many more locations outside the We're United States. Owned by States the same company, and are owned by the same company, so we made it made an easy deal. So for international dubs of the film, um, Taco Bell was written out and redubbed as being Pizza Hut, and uh, Japan was one of those one of those places. So my Laserdisc copy of this film, yes, to answer your question, I do have one, <laughs> is, is a Japanese copy. And I specifically got the Japanese copy of this film because he says, um, I know this is ridiculous, but because they say Pizza Hut.
2: The instead. ADR is so awful. I saw the UK it's bad. scene of the, where they ADR'd Sandra Bullock, and she says, now all locations are Pizza Hut.
1: Right. It doesn't
2: fit at all. No. At all.
3: He says I saved his life, which I'm not even sure I did, and my reward is dinner and dance in a Pizza Hut. I mean, Hey. I like a big, fat piece of pizza, but
1: come on.
2: Your tone is quasi-facetious, but you do not realize that Pizza Hut was the only restaurant to survive the franchise wars.
1: So? So?
2: Now all restaurants are Pizza Hut.
3: No way. <laughs> in, in the, uh, I watched the Hulu version... And um they actually fucked up and they show outside the fancy restaurant that says Taco Bell, it still says Pizza Hut up on the upper part of the building. Yeah, uh-huh. so that's funny that you would mention that. Yeah, they, yeah,
1: yeah, they redressed it and yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Wait, so
0: in, in your Japanese uh version with the laser disc, it, it's a Pizza
1: Hut sign? It is a Pizza Hut, yeah.
2: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, I guess they just got a second set of exterior shots with different signage. The
2: interesting thing is they, they show an insert shot of the meal that the, that Sylvester Stallone gets. Right. And it's like little tiny like pe- – they're, like, they're like
3: crackers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: it's, I think it's meant to be like little tiny Taco Bell like hors d'oeuvres in a yeah. way because like, it has like little stack of tomatoes and like a yeah. little kind well, of taco toppings.
1: There was this movement within fine dining during the late 80s and early 90s where they, they – You'd, you'd go to restaurants and it would be like that your entree is 160 bucks and it's like seven bites of something.
3: It's like micro yeah. meals, they called it, or something yeah. like that.
1: you know, it was it, it got really ridiculous. I think part of it was just meant to be a joke about that. You know, they they joke about it a little bit too in um, a spoof on it in, in, in the movie American Psycho, even though it's not, it, like, yeah. the, just because it's a cultural point that, like, they all sit down at a restaurant it's massively expensive and the meal everyone gets served is, like, four bites of food, you know? And so, yeah... And then they compare business cards. Yes. <laughs> I need to
0: return some videotapes.
1: Right. Oh, dude, one okay. of my favorite Actually, I'm glad you said that, Kevin. You remind me of an extra little thing. There's one point <laughs> early in the movie where Lenina's talking about her love for the 90s, and she mentions laser discs as if they still exist. But then later on, when she gives Spartan security camera footage from outside the museum, the footage comes on a mini disc, but n- nobody uses the word mini disc. They all refer to the mini disc as a tape. They keep every time they bring it up. They keep saying tape, 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 and I'm I, I, I'm guessing this is because '93 VHS is still the way most people were watching home video. But it doesn't make any sense. You could you didn't have to give it a format name. You could have just called it a disc. Everybody like, now still says I'm gonna go tape a show, anyways right? <laughs> when they fucking DVR it or
3: you know it's not even DVRed anymore. It's yeah, just, that's true. You <laughs> it's know, true.
2: it's not even a DVR type yeah. of thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. <sighs> I have to mention something that happens before the Taco Bell scene, which is we we mentioned it a little bit earlier that we find out that uh, Arnold was president at one point in time. Yes. And like the funny thing about that is like Stallone and Arnold had beef during that time. So it's funny that he even
1: agreed to that but well, i you know i i had heard that there was some tension there but at the same time he and schwarzenegger and willis and a handful of other people were also the biggest investors in the planet hollywood restaurants together oh.
2: so i what was I, that later
1: I, 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 I it was around the same time oh, okay. i don't remember exactly what year they started opening planet hollywoods but it was definitely somewhere very really close to 93 if it wasn't in 93 um, so um, it, whatever whatever existed between them – I mean I guess you, business is business. You don't have to necessarily deal with each other but it couldn't have been that bad.
2: There's those very famous viral videos though of like Stallone and uh, Schwarzenegger being interviewed and they talked about how – yeah, they like they were seriously – they had beef they were competitors for a while but it well, might have dissipated by this time yeah I
1: think a lot of that was less them hating each other as people and more that they were two of the biggest action stars in the world and were probably overlapping for a lot of the same potential roles know, oh, yeah. I think that was professional competitiveness more than them disliking each other
2: this movie came out <coughs> around the same time as Last Action Hero
1: and last yeah. action
2: hero has the reference to Stallone being the Terminator, in yeah. Terminator Two, <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So they
2: got it. They have that kind of like crossover, kind of like similar, like outside the box action movies. Actually, if you think about it, this no, absolutely. And last action hero.
0: Apparently, at an award show, uh, Stallone threw like a bouquet of flowers at at Arnold for winning something. Like I think he was uh, he was saying how he was mad because I was I was researching it a little bit because I was like, when did they become friends and. So, I I don't know exactly the time period. Like, they might have been cool by the time Demolition came around, but uh, it was during the Rocky period that he threw, like, a bouquet at him, like, in anger.
3: (laughs) Arnold was probably just pissed that he never got casted for a Rocky movie. (laughs) (laughs) He could have been I mean Drago. Dude, at that time, he was still, like, one of the leading... Fitness guys out there, he could have been easily put into a ring. I
1: respect Schwarzenegger's physique. Obviously, the guy was Mr. Olympia and shit, but why am I blanking on Drago's real name? Um,
2: you always do. Oh, gosh. I dang always it. do. It
1: was just, I just, I watched know it's on it the tip of the of my tongue. It's and I can't, sunny, show whatever. Of he the was center. the right choice for that part. <laughs> he was fucking giant. He's also Dolph, even Dolph, Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. There you go. There he's you also go. taller than Schwarzenegger is. I don't think but, by, yeah. by a whole lot necessarily, but he's tall. He was, yeah, that guy was a monster. He got shit like out of
3: 17 freaking degrees in yeah. physics and shit.
1: <laughs> you know who was also a great, even though the movie itself is ridiculous, a great Rocky cast was Mr. T. Ed Clubber Lang is fucking frightening. My God. Can you imagine getting accosted by that dude? I just, cyanide pill. There's no way I'm letting this dude beat me to death. <laughs> he
3: said cyanide <laughs> pill.
1: <laughs> I would have uh, taken uh. Arnold in
0: place of Tommy. In that last, what was that, 5? Rocky 5? <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, I guess you could have done that. That would have been an interesting way to cap that. I hate 5. It's, yeah, it's 5 is trash, really but terrible. you know,
0: if Arnold was in it, we we might like it a little bit more.
1: Right. Nothing will ever beat the Happy Birthday Robot. Happy birthday,
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's getting cut out. What? Yeah, the Stallone is doing a new cut of Rocky 4, and that's getting removed. Remember I sent you that shit about all these directors doing it's their right.
1: stupid fucking cuts? Coppola's got a new cut of The Godfather Part 3 coming out. Oh my god. He can't fix the parts that are wrong in that movie. He actually thinks he's going to vindicate his ridiculous daughter's terrible performance. There's
0: a uh, new George Lucas cut of the prequels that's going to include Baby Yoda in about seven to eight no. scenes.
2: Get out, Cavi! <laughs> you better be making that up. He, he is definitely making that up. Yeah, I'm just I, trolling. He
1: did, I was just talking about this with Corey. He he's he still, he continued to screw with the Greedo scene all the way up until the moment that Disney bought Lucasfilm. He made, he made additional. If you watch Episode Four on Disney Plus, the scene's been retouched again. Anyway, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, John Spartan at dinner. The dinner is attacked by the. Uh, the Scraps, the underground people led by Dennis Leary. Yes. I mean, we find out that they're just trying to, like, get food because they're basically starving living underground because they don't have access to society and commerce in general. So yeah, he comes out and he stops them and stuff, and, you know, it's, it's a small action scene. It, it's fine for what it is. But where that leads is, like, Huxley gets, like, really impressed and enamored by him, and uh, she makes a proposal, Jonathan, right? Doesn't oh, Huxley man. say, like... Why don't you come over to my place tonight?
3: I, I don't remember exactly how all that went down, but she, her, 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 her panties basically got wet. And she didn't understand what that was, and she wanted <gasps> him to come over to the apartment, and then proposes him with sex. And he's like, "All right, dude, get me a blowy." And then come to find out, like, they have to put these
1: helmets on, and they go through this virtual sex. <laughs> the, the the fight. Scene was one of the moments I was talking about before. If you watch the scene in the car where he and Lenina are going to the dinner, the the exterior shots look great, the city looks great, the dialogue between them is really well put together, the ambiance is nice, like it's a it's a solid scene. And then they get to dinner and he has the argument with Cocteau, which works, but then he gets out to the fight, and like the first thing he does when he gets to the fight is he has to deliver one of those action movie lines. And so he's he's about to beat some guy's ass. And he says something to the effect of like, You're going to regret this the rest of your life. Both seconds of it. And there's this close-up when he gets to the two seconds line. Like, they obviously cut and then had him deliver the line a second time to get the close-up of his face while doing it. And that was a really stupid, stupid line. Even by dumb action movie standards, that was a dumb line. It
2: was a dumb line and the edit was awkward because I noticed it
1: too. Right? And I'm like, you guys killed it. Like, I was having a lot of – the moment between them getting in the car together and Spartan's argument with Cocteau, everything's working. And then they get out to the fight and Spartan has to have this dipshit moment.
0: Fuck you, you little dipshit.
1: Like (laughs) –
3: I I also had a dipshit moment in my notes for this section. My note said that Spartan started beating everyone off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different movie. And I was like, uh, you know what? I'm going
2: to really go ahead and is. just leave yeah. that note That's as is. early Stallone <laughs> career. Exactly. Before he did action
1: movies. Right. When
3: he was homeless. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, he was really oh. in pornos, right, Steve? I've heard rumors about that. I have no idea if it's actually true. I find it hard to believe considering his mother was a really successful businesswoman who who operated a very famous media empire of her own. Hmm. The only Stallone story I know that was true was before
3: he wrote or before he uh, made it with Rocky, he was living on the streets.
2: I think I think a lot of that's bullshit. Do you think, I think so The story too. about yeah. his dog? Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah. I, no. I know someone who knows his family yeah. that made up like a public Facebook post years ago yeah. about like his video of that whole story and they yeah. just said it's bullshit. I've wanted to follow up with them on that for a long time. I need to check into that.
1: I mean, again, given his mother wasn't a billionaire, but she was successful. People who knew who she was, she ran this joke organization called the Women of Wrestling or something to that effect. It was was basically a, an even even more B-level, like, late-night, all-female equivalent to the WWF. People loved it. It made a tremendous amount of money. And Stallone's brother, Frank, was involved with it in some way as well. Like, so, yeah, I just have a difficult believing that time believing he spent part of his career being so desperate and homeless when his family could have easily taken care of him. Schwarzenegger had a real story like that. I wonder if some of Stallone's bullshit about that is just trying to... Because, like... Uh, Schwarzenegger had a whole, one of the commencement speeches at a university he's given in the last handful of years. He talks about how when he first got to America, he was living in a tiny studio apartment. He didn't have money for anything. And his first Thanksgiving in the U.S., all the guys he knew from bodybuilding came over for dinner and they bought, brought food and plates and silverware for him because he couldn't afford to buy any for himself. Like that was real for him. I, the, the Stallone stuff, I don't, I don't really buy.
3: I don't know, man. I, I feel like he could easily be that like, Like guy who uh, is so stubborn and wants to prove that he's not the retard that he is, you know, and that like he was trying to really make it and like, I'm going to make this, this Rocky movie work. And, you know, I mean, since he wrote it, right. And then like he wanted, he wanted to be in it. And like, nobody's like, nah, I'm not going to, you're not going to act.
1: And And that was part of the stubbornness. I think you're right about. I mean, you're definitely right about at least eighty percent of that. Like that was he definitely scraped for a long time to get that movie made. It was his baby, and it's what launched his career. It's one of the two or three genuinely just all all up good films he's ever ever done. But that's
3: probably what drove him partially to that that theory or story. Yeah, could be. you know yeah. that that stubbornness and and I don't know. You could depends on whose point of view it is, but that could be his own self worth. Yeah, absolutely
1: putting himself through that. Well, maybe I won't sell Sly so short. It's a lot of S's in that sentence.
2: <laughs> what about the scene with Huxley though? I mean, the headset thing is that's their future version of sex, right?
1: Yeah, I like it's so awkward, but it's awkward in a way that actually works for the film. Like basically as Jonathan was saying, she she proposes sex by saying that she got turned on by, by Spartan being violent with the the underground people.
2: John Spartan. There is of course a well-known and documented connection between sex and violence not so much a causal effect Mm. but a general state of, of neurological arousal and after having observed your behavior this evening and my resultant condition um i was wondering if you would like to have sex
1: and Spartan thinks, all right, you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get down dirty with this woman, and then she brings out these weird. It, it's like Xavier putting on the headset for Cerebro, you know. <laughs> it's on these weird. He doesn't. Weird... He doesn't do it though. Like, just
2: not really. I mean, he takes it off. Gabby, yeah, he... would you take it off, or would you just like write it out? Oh, I'm, I'm writing it out.
3: If it's Sandra Bullock same. looking like yeah, that, same. I'll still give it a try.
2: That, that, that's the thing that's always bothered me about that, like. Just give it a try. Maybe it's like good. Like
1: <laughs> right. I don't blame him though. I mean, like I would write it out, Go ahead. and then I would
0: pursue to the next level of you know what did they call it? Um, Fluid
3: transfer. I would proceed to fluid transfer. We tried it your way. Now let me show you how we did it back in the twentieth. <laughs> She's so
1: disgusted by the whole
3: idea. Right. <laughs> Side note, you do get to see her uh her nips are poking through her robe. Oh, it like was nice. Yeah, really- buddy. <laughs>
1: Sandra Bullock's looking mighty fine.
2: Well, she I was. mean, John Spartan gets a call from some, like, topless woman, right?
1: Yeah, when he goes back to his his apartment to watch the security footage from the museum, he accidentally gets a video call from a topless woman.
2: He, like, accidentally goes on chat roulette or something?
1: Right, well, yeah, she, she calls his <laughs> phone, <laughs> and he ans- he, right? He answers the phone, <laughs> and the woman on the other end happens to be topless, and then she pulls her towel up and says, oh my god, wrong number. That I mean, Like, I loved it as a 12 or 13-year-old, it's like, fucking the best part of the whole movie for me me. But as an adult, it doesn't really make any sense. This whole society is super repressed. No one's allowed to be sexual. They're not allowed to have actual sex with each other. People don't even kiss. So I, I find it strange that that this woman would be calling people naked, even if it's someone she knew.
3: How, how different is that from prostitution's illegal and
1: there's still hookers walking down the street? What's that's the true. difference? I guess it's true. Just everyone else, you look at everyone else in that society it, like even the normal guys at the police station and Rob Schneider's character, like I can't imagine any of these guys. I think these guys would see tits and they'd be like, "Oh my god, breasts! No, go away." Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, a, a sexual
3: relation still has to happen somehow. I mean, they labs, still, man. they still get.
2: Yeah, they do it all. They do, the
1: do it all in labs. It's illegal um, to get pregnant without a license, and I it's illegal for biological production. Well,
3: i I'm, I heard the part about it, you have to have a permit, right? Right. To or a license. I think right. they called it to ha- reproduce, but right. I must have missed the part where they yeah, it's lab all in create. Vitra.
1: Yeah, she, Sandra Bullock tells him that there's no such thing as pregnancy anymore. Like everything needed from either of them gets extracted somehow and put together in a lab. Corey, do you hate test tube babies too?
3: <laughs> <laughs> right? No, they're cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so after their like sex scene doesn't go as planned because he wants to do the real thing and she's like, no, get out. I, I really do like his, like, I'm sorry, Jonathan, his slyness where he's like, What are you doing? Breaking the law. You are a savage creature, John Spartan, and I wish you to leave my domicile now. And he tries to, like, kiss her, and she's like, Get the fuck out, dude. You're right. <laughs> dude yeah. I do like his, like, his demeanor in that. You
3: know, at least he was trying. <laughs> yeah. Go big or go home, dude. I'd try too. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: I mean, it's worth a it. shot. She's interested, maybe, you know. I mean, the audience is is all rooting for the societal change that we get at the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we should set up the part where he goes back to his apartment just by mentioning that um, Phoenix escaped the museum ahead of John. And there's a a couple of moments after Phoenix has escaped the museum where he bumps into Cocteau outside and speaks to him. And it's during that conversation that we more or less are told that Cocteau engineered the rehabilitation program that Phoenix was going to get while he was frozen, so that Phoenix could be used as an assassin against Ed- Edgar Friendly. And that part of the programming also included sort of a third directive, so to speak, that Phoenix is not allowed to, to, kill,
2: a, to kill Cocteau.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's not allowed to kill OCP official officers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, so he, he Phoenix stands there, talking to him for a minute, tries to kill him and realizes he can't do it. He's just been mentally locked from being allowed to do it. I think a character that vicious would have shot the assistant just for shits and giggles.
2: I always thought that too. Right. Yeah. But
1: uh, nice to have Otho around for the, most of the rest of the movie anyway. He's, yeah, he's
2: just he's just Otho. You know? Right. That's
1: what he is. That character was supposed to be written as a eunuch and they decided to trim it out later on. Also, I guess sort of sort of worth noting about those characters: a lot of the dress in this film is inspired by feudal Japanese costuming or dress.
2: A lot of flowing robes.
1: Yeah, and the fucking socks the, and sandals, man. The yeah. co- the toe outfit is very, very, very much styled and laid out and layered in the manner of what a shogun would have worn, which is like the the highest ranking person who isn't the emperor. So.
3: Yeah. Before I remembered what Cocteau's name was, I had it written down as Star Wars looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel Hawthorne. That guy was yeah. great.
0: One, one thing about that scene that you were just talking about is um, Simon Phoenix's character reprograms the lights and he's like, I changed it. Illuminate.
1: de oh, th- This is um, earlier than that. Yeah, this is when he and Cocteau bump into each other outside the museum, just after John and yeah. Phoenix have had but their fight. I, I mean,
3: time, it's all – Yeah,
1: whatever. Yeah. Timeline just kind of blends Right. In. But it's it, that scene is important because Spartan comes running up just before Phoenix escapes from having this conversation. Phoenix – real, I mean, sorry. Spartan realizes that something is definitely wrong because under any other set of circumstances, Phoenix would have just killed Cocteau and his assistant and left. When do we
0: have that scene where the Illuminate scene... Oh, you can talk about it now.
1: Yeah, you can talk about it now. It's just a little later on when Phoenix comes back to confront Cocteau and ask for additional stuff.
0: Yeah, the only thing that I wanted to say is I really wish Alexa or Google Home would uh, (laughs) allow me to do that. Like, if I could come into my house and be like, Illuminate, I would be the happiest boy (laughs) on the planet.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they got like the Star Trek doors, and then they got like the Star Trek light mechanism. Right. Lights. And they they come on.
1: He's famously secretive about everything that's in it. So it's only been featured a handful of times in the media. But uh, Bill Gates, unsurprisingly, owns like the most heavily AI integrated home in the entire world. And he's been using it. Honest to God, he's been using it as a test bed since the early 1990s. So when he wants to test home integration stuff the company is coming up with, he just literally has it integrated into his own house. So he had one of the first homes, if not the first home on the planet, somewhere up in Washington State, I think near Redmond, um, where he could do things like voice command lights and stuff like that. It was back in the early 90s. If You can look this up. There's a little bit of information, but he's famously very secretive about the whole thing and only lets people in every once in a while. Nice. That – the scene – Cavi's talking about is another one of the really great ones in the movie, I think. The set for Cocteau's office is actually pretty beautiful when you look at it. And he's got this fireplace that's like six feet high, and five feet or ten feet wide, and several feet deep. And he comes into the office, the lights aren't on yet, and it's just this massive fireplace lighting up the interior of the office. It was really rather nicely shot. That I fireplace liked that part. was sick. It
3: was, wasn't it? Yeah. It was yeah. A, that was a work of art in it that office good. for sure. <gasps> Ugh.
2: Well, our gang of heroes, which is John Spartan, Huxley, and we didn't mention the third one too much yet, but Benjamin Bratt plays Garcia. He's the one that does like the society that they're in. Like we're in Huxley is kind of like wants more. She like wants some action. She's nostalgic. He's drunk the Kool-Aid. He's drunk the Kool-Aid for sure. He's
3: what do they call it? Content.
1: He is content
3: with the way things are. He's
1: basically an adult six-year-old. I mean, it's just as long as nothing bad's happening to him, he's fine. I don't really care what else is going on.
2: But he does join them in their search in the wasteland, which is basically
3: like a yeah. sewer
1: system. Yeah, it's basically the sewers. Although it's it, well, it's it, not really the sewers. Yeah. It's, it's
3: because San Angeles, after the earthquake, was built on top of Los Angeles. Yeah. Right. So it's so all that old city for some ungodly known reason they didn't demolish all of that all the way they, they just left it and on built top on it. top well, and <laughs> like, it's how very, dumb
1: is that it, right it's a very ancient world way of doing things way back when like from pre-christian history forward a thousand years or so it was actually, because they didn't have equipment they could mass demolish cities with it wasn't abnormal for them to sort of build new stuff on top of Old, which leads to these really interesting instances where, like, they'll be demolishing a housing tract and realize that, like, a 1300 year old graveyard or something is underneath it. And nobody realized it for the last thousand years. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. In modern world, why would they not have just demolished everything? Yeah, they're all living down there. And Benjamin Bratt's character does eventually sort of come to like them.
2: And, uh, the wasteland, like we said, is that underground area. And, uh, it's a lot of, like, Hobo-looking citizens down there. Like, they look very dirty and poor, right? It looks like the back alleys of the movie Spawn, like where a lot of that movie takes
3: place. It's it's totally a 90s underground grunge slash taken clothes from Mad Max kind of look like I don't understand why people that live underground like that have to wear this like gnarly stuff they're wearing like shoulder pad, like old tires on their shoulders and stuff (laughs) and spikes and it's like why do they look like they've never showered um,
1: I mean they might not have access to shit. Yeah, I can't yeah, imagine but, there's a lot of bathing down there. Uh,
3: but th- but there's probably still other solutions though, you know what I'm saying? Like they don't have to look unhygienic, like Jesus. <gasps> I'm just sad that we didn't get a ninja turtle's Easter egg somewhere like
0: anything would have done. Oh, you fine. did.
3: You did. We did. She sir she served
2: rat burgers. <laughs>
3: <gasps> Master
2: Splitter, no. Oh.
0: Yeah, dude.
3: Come on. There's your there's your Ninja Turtle.
2: I mean, Cavi, that's one of the like the the, one of the remember jokes of the movie, right? The rat burger thing. Yeah,
0: I was I was just annoyed. Um, So old girl's talking to him in Spanish and he's kind of understanding and not really saying anything in Spanish. And then he ends like she says gracias and he ends with you're welcome. But in in Italian, he's like, prego, this is a rat burger.
3: Not bad. Matter of fact, it's the best burger I've had in years.
2: Gracias, senor.
3: Prego.
0: See you later. And I'm like, wait, wait, why? What?
2: Where did that come from?
0: <laughs> like, okay, I get you're the Italian stallion. Like, it was like yeah, a... Yeah, that's
2: what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> He's the Italian stallion. It, it, it was a nod, but it, it just, it was, it was odd. It was odd. <laughs> it was an
3: odd nod. It was yeah, an I odd can nod. understand the, like, English and Spanish going back and forth and understanding one language and just being more comfortable speaking your own language, you know, but, like, why why bring a third language into that? I want to see
2: Stallone just, like, speaking Japanese or something. That would just be, like, a <laughs> funny thing to see.
1: There's there's a moment earlier in the film during his parole hearing where F- Simon Phoenix starts just rambling in Spanish. Yeah. 29 years ago, the parole system as you know it... <laughs> was rendered obsolete. Rendered obsoleto.
2: Federal statute 537-29.
1: Stop it! And it turned out, uh, Wesley Snipes actually speaks, maybe it may not be fluent, but he speaks a substantial amount of Spanish. To the point that on set, he would sometimes rehearse his lines in Spanish for no real reason. And it drove some of the other crew members nuts.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good tie-in.
1: Yeah.
3: I can imagine Sylvester Stallone speaking Italian like Brad Pitt did in *Inglorious Bastards*, when they're like, <laughs> and he's all "Buongiorno," <laughs> you know,
2: like Italian.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's how I picture Stallone speaking Italian. Same,
2: same, same. Steve, same. what kind of car do they got down there?
1: It's a 1970 Oldsmobile 442, one of the greats of the muscle car era. A
2: 1970 Oldsmobile 442. With a 455 cubic inch engine, radial tires, and, and bucket seats.
1: With bucket seats? With bucket seats, which I would have been a standard feature on that car. But that was that was an advertising point back in the late 60s and early 70s. A lot of less expensive cars back then just came to the bench in the front. A bench? Yeah, like, you know, just one solid seat, like what you might see in a pickup truck.
3: Mm. Like, Man. just like the back seat of the car, how it would have three seats, right? Yeah. You'd have the same thing in the front.
1: Is that the Evil Dead car? I don't remember what Ash had in Evil Dead. That's a good trivia question. It's been a long time since I've actually watched through it.
2: It's just funny that they have like this totally disgusting, filthy area that they live in where they're like grilling on this dirty, greasy-ass grill making rat burgers. Right. And there's like this fucking pristine car that's just sitting there. You
1: know, that's one point where I'll – I have to – I partly agree with Jonathan. It didn't bother me that none of them were bathed because I figured they just don't have the capacity down there. But the car was sparkling clean. And it's like, well, if you guys can't bathe, then how are you keeping the car clean?
3: Okay, and here's the (laughs) other thing, dude. Gas is only good for like six months, man. Like, Yeah. This this gas had been in this car for like... So Probably years? forty It'll years to, or yeah at
1: least. Gas like, will actually start eating away at the tank and the fuel lines if it gets too old inside. Yeah, so, and there's
3: there's no way. Yeah. It's like the Jurassic no way that World. Somebody's rationing gas for seventy years to for, for this fucking old mobile. I know you what you're you know? gonna say, Cavi,
1: like, I agree with you. It's like the Jurassic World Jeep. Yeah, in the first Jurassic World and they find the Jeeps from the first film sitting around in the in the other building. There's no way those things would run. Yeah. And there's nothing he could have done to get them running like that in three minutes. And like batteries would have definitely been discharged, right? One of the many reasons I refer to that film as being nothing but a pointless, poorly laid out homage to the first film. In which case, we just tell people to watch the first film.
2: Okay. Well, what about the the sequel to that one? That's like one of the worst movies I've ever. Yeah, seen. yeah absolutely. It's, I
1: mean, it's putting a hat on a hat. You took a movie that wasn't worth <laughs> making in the first place, and they made a sequel to it. Like, <laughs> uh, on a hat.
2: <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> this is like a Steveism. It
2: right. <laughs> like ever... is an actual expression, it's like, it's like
1: <laughs> putting a doctor's hat on
3: over a yarmulke or something. The, <laughs> it's like, dude, you're missing the point. <laughs>
0: if they would have made that little girl go like full dinosaur, like if she would have transformed into a dinosaur and fought the other dinosaur, I would have been in. I would have been like, okay, this is the kind of
1: ridiculousness that this movie needs at this point.
2: Yeah, that's, so. that's the straight to streaming kind of movie that it deserved to be. <laughs> that
1: sounds like something they would have made for the sci-fi network. Exactly. You ever get on the sci-fi channel on demand and look at their selection of movies? Like 60% of them are about sharks. It's really stupid. Anyway She just needed to go full Pastor,
0: And I would have been in
3: Pastor. <laughs> <That's a>
2: <gasps> Real movie Still haven't watched it Oh you're missing God. out dude It's it's really great So S- Simon Phoenix Has a bunch of henchmen now He has convinced Cocteau Who is a fucking dumbass Okay I need some help To take out Edgar Friendly I'll do it for you But I need some help Yeah And he, he has him Thaw A bunch of Crazy Psycho motherfuckers That you know we're put in jail from John Spartan, and uh, just like
1: your police department doesn't have the capacity to catch just Phoenix, how the hell are you going to manage all these other ones? I, uh, wait, I mean, he does. He does eventually say that it's part of his plan. He really wants chaos so that he can convince people that even the society he's already built isn't safe and restrictive enough, and that he needs to do more. Mm. But still, like, how are you going to deal with this? Yeah. Uh,
2: and and he doesn't give him the programming to not kill him. Like that's an oversight.
1: Yeah, exactly. Huge oversight. Huh. Like here you go, kill him. Right. <laughs> the way they dealt with it in the end of Robocop is it's clever. It's fun. It's not amazing, but it's it's it is clever in its own way. But like yeah, you're right in this one. It's just like why you made you went to all this trouble to specifically program Simon, Simon Phoenix for these specific tasks, and you put in the safeguard to make sure he wouldn't kill you, and then he comes to you and says, yeah, I want you to uh, unfreeze these other six crazies, and you're like, fine.
2: But do they also thaw the groupies that
1: this group has? Yeah, that's a good question. Where did the groupie girls come from? Because uh, Simon says that he's got a list of some of his old cohorts. He doesn't say he's got a list of, like, bimbos from the past. He wants unfrozen with them. Hey, man, like, they need some blowies. <laughs> of course, you've the been VR frozen for decades. are not doing enough. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, that's a good question. It's like, where the women come from? Why would they have been unfrozen? How is it possible Cocteau can just get these other people unfrozen without anyone who works at the prison saying anything about it? He's the president of space, man. Right? I mean, he is. He is kind of a dictator, so you expect he's not going to get a lot of pushback. But it's really weird that, like, none of these people are supposed to be out. None of them are on parole. They're all violent criminals. None of them have been reprogrammed to the standard that your society operates on. And you just call the prison where Phoenix has recently murdered the warden and gouged one of his eyes out. And you tell these guys, just unfreeze these other six dudes. It's fine. I don't know.
2: Well, he does it. And these guys, they go after John Spartan in the underground, who has recently met up with Edgar Friendly. And yes. they seem to to be, like, cool with each other, you know? Because Edgar Friendly thinks that they're coming in to, to take him in. But that's not John Spartan's goal. He's coming in to take in Simon Phoenix, or to kill Simon Phoenix, one or the other.
1: The fact that... It's occurring to me now. I'm sorry to be jumping. But Cocteau tells them right before he... Well, he sort of reveals before he dies that he wanted this chaos. But... If what he wanted was the chaos, why bother unfreezing Phoenix in the first place? Just have someone drop a bunch of weapons in Edgar Friendly's lair on the sly and pretend you don't know where they came from. Just let him and his groupies go nuts, then you don't have this extra dude you can't keep under wraps.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah, The whole thing's kind of weird. But they already had weapons. Didn't they? Right. No, and, you're and right, they, they already did have some, had the but, chaos from the rebels underground. Right. You but, know? you know, so I mean, Cocktail basically says, I want it to be even worse than that, right? Which, okay, fine. But I uh, mean, he needed and Cav- an instigator. Right. And okay, you're right. He, didn't, he needed an instigator. And Cavi's right that they already had some guns, but it, all, it, uh, Friendly was already an instigator. The only thing holding Friendly back was the fact that he didn't have more resources. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of give them these extra resources. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
2: yeah. Totally. Edgar Friendly, was played by Dennis Leary, has a pretty good rant. I'm going to put it in here. According to Cotto's plan, I'm the enemy. Because I like to think. I like to read. I'm into freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I'm the kind of guy like that's just sit in a greasy spoon and wonder, gee, should I have the T-bone steak or the jumbo rack of barbecue ribs with the side order of gravy fries? I want high cholesterol. I want to eat bacon and butter and buckets of cheese, okay? I want to smoke a Cuban cigar the size of Cincinnati in a non-smoking section. I want to run through the streets naked with green jello all over my body reading Playboy magazine. Why? Because I suddenly might feel the need to, okay, pal? I've seen the future. You know what it is? It's a 47-year-old virgin sitting around in his beige pajamas drinking a banana broccoli shake singing, I'm an Oscar Mayer wiener. You live up top, you live Kato's way. What he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Your other choice?
1: Come down here, maybe starve for death.
2: I think that's like a very like Dennis Leary-ism where he goes on the whole thing about how What he wants and, like, how he's, like, a free thinker and shit. But, like, it's so Dennis Leary of him. They
1: cast him to get one of those rants. I don't think most of that was scripted. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) They specifically have said they wanted him to do that a bit with the part. Which is funny because in years later, in retrospectives, Leary actually wrote down his exact quote. Leary has referred to this movie as a giant piece of shit. That's (laughs) his opinion of it. Really? Yeah. (laughs)
2: Wow. That's pretty well beloved. I don't know.
1: Right? I mean, for all the criticisms I've had had about it, I like it. Uh,
2: So we get a confrontation. Phoenix and his goons against John Spartan and his, you know, small band of helpers. They have kind of an action
1: scene here. I do want to mention one other little thing. And when Friendly and Spartan first meet each other, there's some graffiti on the wall behind them. And one of the items of graffiti um, says horse penis in Hungarian.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jonathan do you have any thoughts about the action scene that goes down I mean it's it's pretty basic it's a shootout ducking behind shit and they jump into the cars and they have like the the car chase
3: yeah I mean the the car chase was pretty dumb I I wasn't a real big fan of it Uh, Luxley Luxley driving a real car. Drive, she got a chance to write, drive like, the I Oldsmobile. Read all about this. Yeah, she's like, I read all about it. And he's like, you know, and Spartan tells her, just hit the gas. It's a stick shift. This shit. one? And yeah. So first of all, there's no way that she's going to automatically just know how to drive a stick right? shift. Second, like she just, plunges her foot down on the gas you know pedal to the metal and and she starts like spinning the tires and if they're already going as fast as they make it seem like she's not going to break the tires free
1: like in fifth gear or something you know
3: and she's fishtailing all over the freaking freeway like
1: Like, dude come on even if that worst case scenario things still had tires on it from the 70s which would not have been good best case scenario its tires were from the uh, late 90s in which case yeah they're still probably rotted by now the fluids in the engine would not have been any good you pointed out correctly the gas wouldn't have been any good there's no way they could have just turned that thing on cars like yeah. that that are kept in long term storage like museums and shit have to they have to be drained of all their fluids they, they have to be checked periodically for plastic and rubber rot like yeah so
2: yeah and but then, it's a pretty epic shot of the car coming up from the elevator exactly. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but it is it, it, it's cool within reason did yeah. that you know? kind of seem strange though like they've built as Jonathan pointed out they've built the new city on top of the old one there's this old elevator shaft nobody thought it would be a good idea to ensure that shaft didn't work anymore it just <laughs> comes up through the floor of some building that's built on top of it's it it could
2: happen
3: at any time yeah. <laughs> right
1: <laughs> yeah I mean how did they know the elevator worked Spartan <laughs> just gets in it and just like hits it it works
3: yeah, I mean, they could have just, like, you know, gassed
1: everybody out down there. You right? Know? Like, Absolutely. Well, and you know, there are places that, uh, that, like, tunnels that lead into, well, I guess this wasn't the sewer systems you pointed out, but I just can't believe there's no other access point other than that elevator. Anyway. The um, car
2: chasing, though, ends in a crash, where now, instead of, like, you're current-day airbags, the car just fills up completely with this foam that just solidifies instantly and preserves you from getting injured in any way in a car crash.
1: I... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, uh... I should have said before, Cocteau's offices are the Los Angeles Convention Center, or half of it anyway. Oh
2: yeah, it definitely looked like a convention center. Well, get, we're going to get to the, some more of the convention center, I think.
1: Yeah, we do, yeah, it's true. They end up there for when the car stops, yeah. and uh, the prison. The exterior shots of the prison are uh, a real, a real maximum security prison that's in downtown Los Angeles. It's basically right next to Little Tokyo. Yeah. Can we go back to the car scene real quick? The chase. So I, I
3: really didn't like. Uh, also where, uh, Spartan was on top of the car, right? When Phoenix was driving, quote unquote, driving, it was also, he was also trying to get it into the, uh, auto yeah, mode, like... right? Yeah. And so he like has this like automatic rifle where he's just like, he goes to shoot straight up, right? Uh, to try to get, uh, Spartan and he only shoots like right here above his head. Like all he had to do was go.
2: To angle back, it back, like, like 45 it, degrees?
3: Dude, not even. Maybe like 15 degrees and he would have popped his fucking head off, you know? Like, how dumb is that? It is dumb. God. The, the score, because I, I was recording
2: some tracks for a score for this podcast beforehand. The score for that moment is called Obligatory Car Chase. It's very self-aware. Right. <laughs> like the movie itself. <gasps> Nice. But after the chase, it, it kind of leaves a, leads us into the final confrontation. The Shawshank Warden guy, the chief of police, he like comes out and he's like not having it. He's like, God damn it, John Spartan. Spartan, wait. You can't leave. You're under arrest. This very concept negates the possibility of your leaving. Skip it, chief.
1: Lieutenant Huxley.
2: Chief, you can take this job and you can shovel it.
1: He'd already told Lenina to take John back to the jail and have him refrozen. They'd had a huge fight and he basically said, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done with you. You're causing as much destruction as Phoenix as I'm going to refreeze your ass. That's it. You're some kind of demolition man. <laughs> right. So he tells Huxley to take him back to the prison and instead Huxley takes him down to the sewers to find Phoenix. So at this point, he's furious that, that Spartan isn't back in prison. Of course, the, the prison is definitely not a place you want to be at that moment.
2: Right. Because that's Phoenix's next stop. He yeah. wants to thaw 80 criminals and just, I guess, cause raise hell. Right. right? Just destroy Cocteau society. He did have his henchmen kill Cocteau, so um, yes. shit's falling apart. That part
0: was very enjoyable for me. Put a log on the fire. I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> Seeing
2: Cocteau die? Yeah,
0: I couldn't stand yeah, fuck his him. character. So I was like,
2: yes, burn! Cabby, why don't you tell us about the final confrontation in the cryo
0: room? Gotcha. Well, we know when Spartan's getting serious when he puts that beret on. So we see uh, (laughs) Spartan put on his beret. I never caught that. That's awesome. Yeah, he puts on the beret and then he's getting ready to fight the claw.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he has two adversaries. A giant claw, a video game boss, essentially. Exactly. And then Simon Phoenix himself.
1: When people get defrosted out of this prison, they cut into this block of ice that they're frozen in pointlessly with a giant laser. Just adds to the whole stupidity of that mechanism to me. Like, why are you freezing them in blocks like that? And why would you use a laser to cut them out when you might cut them while you're doing it? Like, I don't care that the laser is guided by a computer system. If it misses by more than like a quarter of an inch, you could literally just take that person's head off.
3: Oh my. my wife was watching that with me and she was like,
1: What if that laser fucked up and cut his leg what? off or something? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's happened.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Can you imagine the experimenting necessary leading up to making that prison system work? They must have frozen people to death and lasered them to death and killed a whole bunch of people. No, like, they would do it on animals first. Oh, yeah, that might be true. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and criminals, like yeah. Yeah. animal criminals. <laughs> yeah, the animal know criminals. <laughs>
1: Well, I was in, talking about like, you know, stray dogs. And in stuff feudal like Japan, that. samurai sword makers would sometimes be allowed to test their new swords on convicted criminals. Jesus. Yeah, it was wow. pretty, pretty fucked up. Feudal Japan is
2: fucking crazy. Yeah, it was
1: pretty nuts, man. And those swords are sharp enough to cut through bone. They would just literally take an arm off or whatever to see if it worked. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: well, my <and> sword works. <laughs> right.
1: And then when they were done, they just finished the dude off like right. did they give them the option like in blood diamond they're like long <laughs> sleeve short sleeve <laughs> no I'm pretty sure they needed they just got whatever the sword for, sword operator decided to give them
2: oh Jonathan I've never <laughs> heard anyone make light of
1: that <laughs> ever right until now <laughs> Jonathan thinks blood diamonds are hilarious <laughs> oh god it's a good movie it is a good movie really good movie <laughs> <sighs> yeah
2: that'll be a big dumb movie episode in the no just kidding That's right not, that doesn't quite fit we already did blood diamond it was called congo yeah exactly did you think that laser was cool Cavi, when simon phoenix is trying to shoot spartan with it uh i mean
0: it's not very practical what it's got a couple charges and then it stops working i
2: was thinking (laughs) congo laser though when i was watching it for sure
0: oh you know what i didn't think that because we didn't get the proton pack look so it wasn't quite the same Yeah.
1: Proton packs are
0: awesome. Those are fun. If it would have had the backpack, (laughs) then I would have been all
3: all for it. I would have been like, yes. On that laser gun, wasn't it supposed to be like like three minutes per charge or something like that? Something when he initially picked it up in the museum?
1: Yeah, it tells him it's like two and some odd minutes to fully charge. And I think the first time he fires it, he'd waited long enough. But the second time, he, he hadn't. It should have still been charging. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's the rifle one. He has like the special yeah. laser in the
0: car. It's the there. one
1: they normally use to cut the blocks with. He uh, just rips uh, it off the uh, mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: okay, I was confusing weapons.
1: Yeah, he Phoenix literally just starts tearing the thing apart. It's partly after Phoenix had frozen the arm off the claw.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, because uh, yeah. Spartan gets picked up by the claw and he's fighting to get out, and then the laser hits what is some ni- uh, liquid, ni- some nitrogen or something. Because that didn't really make any sense. I'm like, why would the claw have nitrogen?
1: Okay. Yeah, because the claw's not responsible for freezing anything, so why would it have the nitrogen line built into it? Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. It makes no sense.
2: It's, like, <laughs> inside? Yeah, you, like, break it open and it's
1: inside? Yeah, what he what he, what he broke off should have been, like, it, it looks like it's a hydraulic arm, so, like, there would have been fluid in there that creates the pressure for the, the claw to close, right? Which is fine. That makes sense. The stuff works that way. But, yeah, then he tears it open, and it turns out it's, like, like freezing gas, which makes no sense. <laughs>
2: Uh, they have a, a bit of a fight. It's, it's you know, it's pretty basic in terms of what we've seen them fighting each other before. But still, Wesley Snipes is, is pretty impressive, I think. Yeah. Just because he is impressive in what he does.
1: His physicality is fantastic. It's part of what made, made him work for Blade too. Having an actor who can act at least reasonably well and is proficient as a martial artist is great for an action movie. For sure. Yeah. Hell of a basketball player, too. <laughs> right? Is he?
3: Well, yeah. Who's on "White Men Can't Jump"? Oh, really? <laughs> dude, so stupid. So,
2: can't believe you got me with that
3: shit.
0: <laughs> How does he die, Cabby? Oh, uh, that's our that's our foreshadowing from the very beginning of the film, where he says, uh, "If my head wasn't attached, I'd lose it."
1: And he gets—I'll keep that in mind. He, he gets, yeah, he gets frozen by the little blue dot. If your head wasn't attached, you'd be dead.
2: Well, it freezes everything except, like... It freezes everything on the ground, right? So that's why he jumps...
1: Yeah, he sticks the... Well, no, he uses the... Uh, I don't even know what the hell to call it. The flash freeze bulb. Well, you know, so we were talking about at the beginning. They put these people inside these... It's a uh, tampon inserter. <laughs> right? They, they put these people inside this, this like, vat. Then they fill the vat with liquid. Then they drop this little blue ball into the liquid that flash freezes it. So... Spartan finds one of the vials that has the little blue ball inside of it, and when he breaks it against the floor, which is covered in the, in the cryogenic liquid, it starts to freeze everything. It right, starts to that's flush. Why. Yeah, but it's weird that it like crawls its way up Phoenix's body. <laughs> Not really. I mean, there is liquid within the body. No, I mean it, there totally is. It's just it's just strange how it like moves up so slowly, and he has time to like writhe, and it's, it's like a two minute thing process. He had more than enough time to shoot spartan you know i don't know
0: blue balls tend to radiate upwards and he gets his head taken the fuck off
3: (laughs) with a one-liner heads up (laughs) Well, uh i I was actually kind of impressed when they knocked his head off and like you actually saw like frozen meat inside there like where the neck was you know i thought that was like kind of cool that they actually got it a little bit realistic somebody
1: better move him before he thaws out
2: (laughs) plus the shattering i mean it's always nice to see that like (laughs) yeah I, I know this movie came way before, but it reminded me of that Jason X scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one.
0: It reminds <laughs> me of T-1000.
2: Yeah, some T-1000 vibes in there for sure. Uh, I mean, they take out Simon Phoenix, and uh, the next scene, is it's pretty quick, the way it wraps up here, but basically, like, since Cocteau is dead, Simon Phoenix is defeated. The underground movement, the people from the wasteland, the scraps, they come up, and uh, I guess, like, John Spartan helps, like, usher in a new
1: era of peace. Yeah, they're all very scared about how things are going to go. It's like, first of all, things don't necessarily need to change at all if you don't want them to. <laughs> like, secondly, thousands of years of human history. You don't think there's any other option for yourselves aside from this? Like, you've got no other choice. This weird fascist society, utopia, built by cocktails, the only way humans are capable of living. seems like a lot of people do like it. I, you know, it seems like a lot of them do But I, I, at least I think The takeaway is supposed to be a lot of those people are just Victims of, of brainwashing And not knowing that there's an alternative way Of living, you know and Especially when you indoctrinate people as kids yeah.
2: Well, we know there's real societal change because He kisses Sandra Bullock
1: Yeah, right? That's and, the real indicator and I, What is life like in the rest of the country? I just, I don't, I don't get it You tell me you go to Wisconsin, Cocteau Society Still works the same way there Doing, no. it, doing it there that's where they have the wicker man right <laughs> Montana Wyoming Arizona Nevada Utah Florida New York Maine Oregon any other state they're all working this way I just don't doesn't seem right to me
2: I mean we can all agree that no one cares about any other state <laughs> you no know, that's true I mean
1: California wins them all that, I'm not gonna argue with you about that but
2: <laughs> shout out to all our non-Californian listeners we love you guys
1: right I just don't love where you live
2: <laughs> shots fired <Steve. laughs>
3: I liked Ooh. in that scene where um, Dennis Leary comes up and he's gonna start like a uh, you know revolutionizing everything.
0: How will we live? I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna go out and drinking, and all of us, get shitfaced, and paint the town literally with graffiti slogans. It'll be a blast.
3: Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna do. Why don't you get a little dirty? You will lot clean, and somewhere in the middle, I don't know. You'll figure it out. Fucking a. And so, Associate Bob slash Otho goes with him, and he's like, all right, first thing we're going to do is, like, get your hair all one color.
2: Because <laughs> he's got, like, the white in the front. Uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> Looks like row That was, like, the Ricky Martin look back, <laughs> like, in the 90s. You remember that? Oh, yeah.
1: Frosted tips, yeah. a colored strip, things like that. Absolutely. Hair yeah. bleaching. Snipes hated his bleached hair. Despised it. He apparently, something like 20 minutes after they wrapped his last scenes, went and had his head shaved just to get rid of it. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> they needed some contrast like not keep it
2: for reshoots or
1: anything. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, he may have, it may not have been quite that quick. I don't know what the actual timeline is, but I've heard that basically the first opportunity he could get away with doing it, he just shaved his head. Yeah, well, he probably needed some contrast right. between color hair and
3: and being the darkest brother around. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, guys, I think it's time for ratings. Unless you have any final thoughts about the movie, non ratings related.
1: Anyone? Sandra Bullock was pretty damn hot. That's a good final. Yeah. I have a question.
3: (laughs) I have a question for you guys. Anybody, feel free to answer or everybody's answer. So when the the cryo prison obviously ended up becoming fully destroyed, right? Or was it only that level? No, you're right. I think the whole thing went up. So everyone in there is dead. Well... Not necessarily. What if, I mean, if they all just became
1: unfrozen,
3: then what happened to all the thousands of criminals that were in there if they Ooh. just got
1: unfrozen? I don't know, man. I mean, we, Snipes got his head kicked off while he was frozen. I think if the building blows up while you're frozen, you're gone. I don't, did it actually blow up or was it just like, i mean, you did, saw,
3: the the saw the operation just <laughs> shut down?
2: Uh, yeah. Man, I have never given that any kind of thought. <laughs> I mean, there's <laughs>
3: thousands of criminals in there with like roaming free now.
2: They're all dead. Or I'd like to future. say they're all dead. Okay, that's where I'm going to land.
1: Yeah. All right. I just wanted <laughs> the demolition to stop, man yeah.
2: shows up. I mean, yeah, get I mean out of the way, even if you're frozen, even if they
1: didn't get burned or blown up, I can't believe just, just leaving the mountain room temperature is good for them. I don't think you wake up that way. It no. seems like there's a whole procedure involved <laughs> with like bringing consciousness back. I think you just melt and die.
3: Like, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, but there's like. <laughs> There were moments where the demolition man talked about having consciousness while he was still frozen because he was having these nightmares and thoughts about his wife and his daughter and stuff like that. So like, I mean, to some degree, even though being frozen, either you have some slight consciousness or that that goes to the theory that like your soul and body are two separate entities. So freeze the body, but the mind still works like, I don't know. So it's just kind of.
2: That's a rabbit hole I can't go into, Jonathan. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't want to either, but,
3: it, I mean, it was thought-provoking for me. Like, I mean, it was something <laughs> that I definitely thought about.
2: Yeah. Well, I think I think ratings are due. Jonathan, would you like to take the lead?
3: Yeah. So, uh, one of the things that I really liked about this movie was, like, Snipes' character was, like, even though he was, like, a criminal piece of shit, like, I really enjoyed him. He's probably my favorite character in the movie, he was fun. He had fun while he was doing all this stuff. Little jokes, little quirks. Like he was having a good time, you know, even being a criminal piece of shit, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, so that that made it good for me. Luxley was hot as hell, of course. I mean, come on. Huxley. Luxley. Luxley? Huxley. Yeah. It's no. Lenina Huxley. Lenina Luxley. I think it's Huxley. It's Huxley. I'm going to look at it. All right. I'm looking. The great debate begins.
2: Is it with an H? Is it really? Yeah. I don't know.
1: I, you know what? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to call her what I want to call her. I don't care.
3: She's Hanina Luxley. <laughs> uh, anyways. I think it was cool. The, the designs, the set designs. And the effects. I mean, what else do you expect? It's a 1993 movie. It's not... You can't compare it to today's standards. There's no way you could do that. But you compare it to 80s standards, it was a lot better. I don't think it was a bad movie. I don't necessarily think it was an amazing movie. But I wouldn't not watch it again. (laughs) Uh, I've seen it, you know, who knows how many times. I definitely don't feel like it needed to be two hours long, though. It was a bit much. I think they could have shortened and that's, that's a little bit cut down version too believe it or not yeah, yeah yeah i think they probably could have cut it down a bit more but it's what we expect from stallone it's an action movie he's the main guy he's that rock em, sock 'em, sock blow shit up do wild action stunts i think that there's like a popular thing to like not like this movie like people think that it's like cool to not like this movie or something because i was like going through and reading reviews and stuff and people just loved to shit on it and i don't think it, there's that much really to shit on so with that i'm giving it two and a half spartan sacks out of five <laughs> <Gross. Very good. laughs>
2: thank you jonathan i'm gonna take it next On a rating scale of 1 to 10 uh, VR sex headsets, (laughs) I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 because I think it is a fun world that this movie takes place in. That's really what people remember about this movie. The action scenes are kind of like whatever. In some cases, I think they're meant to be generic. They're meant to be a play on the typical 90s action scene, which is kind of fun in its own right. It's not like Robocop smart. But, you know a few movies are it is a little satirical and it's kind of funny in its own right and uh it's just a fun ride you know it's an early 90s action movie with a unique twist uh i guess in the same way that last action hero is although i'd probably put this one slightly above that hmm. and uh yeah it's fun seven out of ten for me Cavi, why don't you take it over
0: Uh, I thought it was really fun. I agree that uh, Simon Phoenix, Wesley Snipes' character, was definitely the most fun thing about this movie. Uh, Sandra Bullock is definitely easy on the eyes in this movie, the wildcat. And uh, so I am going to give it, out of 10 fluid transfers, 8 out of 10 (laughs) fluid transfers. (laughs) (laughs) Nice (laughs) one.
2: That's a good amount of fluid. (laughs) A
1: whole
0: lot of lube.
1: That leaves you, Steve. All right, I'm going to rate this movie on a scale of one to ten cryogenically frozen law enforcement agents. And I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I'm rating it relative to other action movies because I think that's the only fair way to do it. There's a lot of holes. There's a lot of stuff to nitpick. There are a handful of things that really don't make a lot of sense. But uh, it's it's a big-budget blockbuster action film, and in that regard, it ticks all of the boxes the way it's supposed to. It was fun to watch. Some of the scenes were really genuinely well put together. Some of the set design was really very good. I think it's unfortunate that some of the better parts of the movie were soured a little bit by some of the stupider scenes that came immediately after them. I would agree with you guys about the length in the sense that I think they... I've always felt they should have either been able to do a little bit more with the time they had, or they should have made the movie, I would actually say they could have made the movie half an hour longer if they spent a more substantial amount of time really world building and answering some of the questions people would want to know about the society. I think there would have been a way to, to keep it, make it even more interesting, um, but they they missed the mark on that. But overall, I mean, I've been watching this movie since the day it came out. I probably end up seeing it once a year or so. I still find it entertaining story's a lot of fun this sets a lot of, a lot of fun and uh, uh, I think it's a pretty good one overall very nice yeah.
3: Steve did you give this extra points because it's on Laserdisc a little bit <laughs> 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 and because they
1: mentioned Laserdisc <laughs> yeah the fact that she says Laserdisc in the movies actually I, I know how stupid this is but one of my rules is if they mention or show Discs in the movie I want to have a copy of it on Laserdisc absolutely <laughs> oh, that's cool that's a cool little thing, <laughs> right but uh, it's funny that that's the technology 70 years from now. Yeah, absolutely well, it, It's like it's funny they use the word laser disc but no one really uses a laser. I mean they're using discs that are read by lasers but they're not laser discs and right. and it's it's funny that like I think that was just the result of timing because it was 97 DVD came out in the US. If they'd made this movie just a few years later, they would not have said laser disc. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh. You know what was
0: the one movie I saw on laser disc as a kid? Hmm. Milo and Otis
1: Milo and Otis oh my god I've used to have seen that movie in theaters two or three separate times my brother loved it so random I kind of liked it too
2: <laughs> we have great. to wrap up here but before we do Cavi, where can people find you?
0: Uh, you can find me on Instagram you can find me on YouTube it's all under Cavi Anvil and uh I do weeb raps so if you like anime and you like hip hop come check me out that's it Boah.
1: Have you done any any uh, anime-related episodes on the newer Ghost in the Shell stuff? I have not. Like on the movie or? Or like the newer series, like Arise? I, the, you know what? Movie? I haven't even
0: watched the new series. Um,
1: oh, man. Yeah, I just right. did a wrap. So I'm just asking.
0: I just did a uh, Hunter Hunter rep.
1: Oh, nice. Very cool.
2: If you want to write in, you can email us at bigdumbmovie at gmail.com. And we're on Instagram, Big Dumb Movie Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook. If you're a big fan of ours, leave us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts with a written (laughs) review. You know you're not
1: going to get any positive ones for episodes I'm on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We did get a good one that we read off on the Sidekicks episode, so that was cool. Nice. All right. That wraps up this episode. Thank you very much for listening. We love you. Good night.